Hey guys, in today's episode we welcome back Jason Ryder to the Carp Chronicles podcast. Jason has just returned from a mammoth trip from France in which he caught an obscene number of big fish, many over the £60 mark, including one very, very special fish that has eluded him for a number of years. He takes us through the details of his trip and of course the conversation takes us down many tangents and rabbit holes, many of these about bait as per usual. We also discuss the upcoming release of his new book, which sounds a little bit to me like a bait enthusiast bible. Then we finish off with some of the questions that you guys kindly messaged in. Now then, before we get into the meat of this episode, we need to give a shout out to the guys at carphuntergiveaways.co.uk for sponsoring this podcast. carphuntergiveaways.co.uk run competitions daily where you can buy tickets for as little as 99p to be entered into drawers to win some serious fishing tackle. Items include things like bait, bivvies, bite alarms, luggage, bed chest, the list is endless. They also give back to Phoenix Heroes, who are a charity who support veterans and their families who suffer from PTSD, something that Sam and I are also particularly passionate about. Now finally, our range of hook baits, which I know you've all heard about so much, are available for you to buy at baitbros.co.uk. We've got four different sets of baits in the range, and you can pick up all four sets of baits for around £30. So head over to baitbros.co.uk and get these baits before they're gone. Now then, I hope you enjoy the episode and we'll catch you soon. outrageous really um shall i open this beer because i've got one ready to go um because we normally do that don't we so i've got a little stash of guinness extra cold here and uh it was it was really cold but since we've been messing around with the computer a bit it's a little bit warmer (laughs) (laughs) but it's still pretty good um Uh, yeah go for it i think sam's had the afternoon in a beer garden so i think sam's already halfway there I've, I've been on the go since about half past 12. So, yeah, I've had a few in me, <laughs> to be honest with you. But, um... So, yeah, the trip, the trip was pretty incredible. Um, and I think it sort of pissed people off um, from the point of view where they sort of weren't going fishing or couldn't go fishing. And I actually got a few sort of negative comments about it, you know, um, more on the owners' forums and things, you know, what the hell are you doing going to France fishing and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I had to go um, to look at my own property to maintain it, to work out what needed doing and to physically work. Um, but with the implications of the crossing and having to do the test and everything, it just made more sense to go for three weeks. Um, and then, of course, it brings in the equation of no one's going. You can offer someone a bit of, you know, dinner money to go and fish some top lakes that have got three or four year waiting lists, um, which was what we did the first week with Moulin Knots, you know. I think, I think you might have muted yourself, Jason. Unmuted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love this technology, eh? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there was, there was one thing I really wanted to go over about the sort of first podcast for the flavours. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you've, you've got me into these now so um i mean while i was away i pretty much listened to all of them sort of in my tent and it's pretty cool so i was listening to the john baker one and uh he answered the same question you asked me completely differently and that was 
you know, would you use a flavour that was 20 years old? Um, and I, I said yes. Now, I'll, t I'll tell you why I said yes. Um, obviously, John makes the point where everything has a sell-by date, has to be fresh. And, and we touched um, on the point that some of the flavour compounds are actually nutritional ingredients. We went over to Q enzymes, um, the caprylics, caprylics, and all of that, obviously, which aren't going to be nutritional after 20 years. But people, I, I think people, 95 maybe 99% of people are using flavours incorrectly. You know, they're not using them as flavours, they're using them as aromas. So my answer was that if you pick up a bottle of flavour and you sniff it, and it smells like the smell you want to create in the bait, then, then use it. Um, but you've got to say they are, at the end of the day, still flavours. And if you put it into your bait, you're flavouring your bait with it, right? Yeah. Um, and I, I think people aren't necessarily considering it. All they're going for is the smell. So to put that again in one of my famous human analogies, I mean, if, if, if I'm, say I've been to football and I'm, it's the evening and I'm going back to my car and I walk past the tandoori, I can smell it cooking, yeah? Or someone's having a barbecue in their garden. Straight away, that's in my brain. I want it. I, I've selected my next food item by smell, Okay. But what percent of my diet is selected by smell? I, I'm going to say it's less than 5%. Um, so how much of it is selected by sight? Well, if I see a really nice packaging or a cream donut or something, I might have that. But probably 90% of my food is selected on taste. I know what tastes good. I go back for the same sort of thing. I make those selections. Now, carp's not a person. And I think the equation probably the site equation is a lot higher. Um, I think they do se select a lot of their meals by site. Um, but what if the most important thing is taste? I'm talking, in, in carb terms, I'm talking gustation rather than olfaction, yeah? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking probably 95% of anglers are thinking that olfaction is the most important bit in making a carp bait. But what if 95% of the importance is actually from gustation? Yeah. What what are your thoughts on that? For me, <clears throat> I think gustation's become more more relevant. I think as I've got older and I've sort of created baits um in the later years. Yeah, I think gustation's um become more important for me because I agree with you, you want the fish to enjoy eating it, don't you? Um when when they're when they're consuming the bait, I guess, and it's all pluming out through the gill rakers. Um, it's going up into the water column and any any fish in that locality as well they they can taste it through the water as such because i think a lot of people think with gustation it's almost like us don't they they think it's sort of um the, fit, the fish taste it through their mouth would you say that right which is obviously a misconception yeah um i mean so straight away from that you've, you've got different types of fishing so you've got you've got your day ticket bait let's let's say you've got um I don't know, one of the linear lakes, I don't know, say it's 20 acres. And so you've got 30 anglers around it and they're all turning up and they're all chucking in boilers. Now, how can a carp particularly tell the difference um, between one boiler and not over a short space of time? Um, and the answer is they probably can't. So most of my fishing is session fishing. Um, and I think, as, as Bill said in his article, over the course of seven days, you, you definitely 100% can influence the way fish feed with your bait 
especially if you're the only person on the water and you're not in competition with anyone else. Um, I mean, I, I, I hate these call de goo things, you know. I, um, I mean, I, I was shown it a long, long time ago by the South Africans. Um, and I thought, yeah, I, I just don't like the whole concept of it. Um, and they're flavoured to death. But is that, again, is it more of a sight thing? Um, it's getting you the bite because you get that little plume. Does it hide, does it hide your hook? Um, is it along those lines? Um, I just think people need, when, in terms of bait making, people need to consider everything they're putting in their bait, you know? Um, and another thing that I totally agreed with was, um, I'm not sure whether it was on one of the podcasts or a conversation with someone I had the other day about dips. You know, people are always saying to me, what can I use to boost the bait? And I'm going, please don't use anything. You know, I've, I've spent ages designing it and setting it up to work the way it is. And now you want to drown it in salmon oil. So it's just going to taste and smell of salmon oil, you know. Um, and But they like putting it on because it gives them confidence because they had a result when they did it. Um, so you, you, you have to look at it from that point of view as well. Um, but I, I, I certainly think, taste is a massive massive thing um and it's greatly underrated and people should consider that when they're putting in high level so again are we talking about high track pop-ups you know with high levels but or are we actually talking about feed baits i mean it, it depends i suppose yeah uh, sam i know you can sort of well you have done a, in the past on a podcast spoken a lot about gustation and olfication is there anything you could sort of add to that your thoughts on it yeah, I suppose it, it's the, old, the whole argument about old flavours versus new flavours. And I get what you're saying, Jason, about it's, it's, like it's putting that label on it. Like, smells the same, right? Um, but obviously, you also touched upon, you know, different components of it. Obviously, they have denatured over time. So I think if you're looking, it depends what school of thought you're in, doesn't it? If you're looking at a flavour as attractive to carp in its own right, whether that's through... Um, gustatory response or, or anything else if that if different compounds in that flavor have been compromised and faded out surely that is going to affect the effectiveness of the flavor and i suppose you could argue actually maybe it's maybe it's going to be more attractive because certain things fade and other things maybe don't fade and who knows maybe it goes the other way but i think you've got to say if the different components of a flavor are attractive to carp that must change either to the good or the bad, as those different components age and denature. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, but if it still smells the same, you know, it, a pop-up is still going to be the same. I, I consider a pop-up to be an artificial bait, first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm not dissimilar to plastic. Um, I'll, get, I'll give you another example as well. I mean, I'll, I'll commonly get... Um, a website query or someone will ring me up and they'll say i've got this scenario i'm fishing an older state lake it's got 40 carp in it's seen everything before you know what one of your baits um would you recommend and you think i had how would i know do you know what i mean like, mm -hmm. what's 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 the water temperature what what's it seen before what's the angling pressure like um there's a million questions you could ask but you, you could also be asking better questions about your own bait. So you can look at what the bait's going to be doing for you for 12 hours, you know. So simple, chuck it in a glass of warm water and watch it. Watch what comes out, what smells out. At the end of that 12 hours, have a look at it. 
have a feel of it, see what it smells of, chuck it back in the water. 12 hours time again, have another look. I mean, if you want to be really anal about it, take that glass to the lake, scoop the lake bottom out of the water, let it settle, um, you know, for 24 hours, bring it home and you've recreated the lake bottom, chuck your baits on that and have a look. Um, so I, I always like an oil, an oil soluble animal. I mean, you talked about the EOs and you like those. Um, I, tr I try and have a, an oil soluble and an alcohol water soluble attractor in there as well, for the same reason that you get a different response over time. Um, I mean, if you've purely got an alcohol bait and it's an open textured bait and it's coming out of the water quickly in, in very warm temperatures, I mean, if the bait's not particularly nutritious or has any any taste to itself, you've you've got like a bit of pasta or something after 24, 48 hours. There's nothing there. Now, if, if you've got an oil flavor in there, that's still going to be I, I'll give you an example of this, right? Um, so we were cracking on about the ultra spice last time, weren't we? And it sort of got me thinking about, you know, liberating a bit of my hip mustache and rolling something up. I've got a, a company that have been making me, um, they, they're called meat glazes, but they're basically just flavoured salts for about 20 years and they customise them to what I want. So I've got a really nice piri piri one, which sort of smelled a bit like the old Robin Red, tasted a bit like it as well, tasted very salty. So I put that with the ultra spice um, and the onion granules, because that was something else we talked about, right? Mm, mm. So I, I, I said to the lads, can you roll me up 50 kilo of this for my next trip? So they knocked it up and I went to pick it up. And uh, But what I hadn't told them was to take out the, the alcohol flavours, the plum and the green zinc from my normal bait. Um, and it they sort of cancelled each other out and I instantly didn't like it. I went, oh, God, you know, I'm not, not happy with this, but what are you going to do? Do you know what I mean? I'm not going to sell it, so I'm going to use it. Anyway, that, that bait, I ended up on... Uh, I ended up having nine, nine fish over 50 pound on my last trip on. Um, and it was, it was a prime example of that. So after 12 hours or overnight or whatever you like, really in the next day, it was a completely different bait. You know, the fruitiness had left it and you could smell the lovely spicy richness um, and then break it open and smell the onions in it and uh I mean, my, my friend ended up calling it plumians. Um, but straight away, it's not right for me. I, so I, I've, I've already worked out the mark two of that bait. You know, it not, it's not good enough that it's caught me, you know, it's caught me a 60 and a 50 on one lake. And then I've moved to another lake and I've had seven 50s in 72 hours. That's not good enough. You know what I mean? I want, I, I want it to be right as well as get the results, you know, if that makes any sort of sense at all. So this is sort of you. You've come. This is new to you, isn't it? So obviously this this bait it's come around by mistake. Um, uh, it's it's an old bait um, that I've been doing for ten years. Called yeah, plum zing. Um, I mean, it, I made especially developed a plum to sit directly on top of the uh, Jeff Kemp green zing, mm -hmm. and it, it's it's an effective bait in its own right. I mean, the fact that you know I've stopped doing it, people have asked for it back, and I've started doing it, and it's I've been doing it for ten years. It's it. And, it, and it's also got lots of organic acids in um, it. So it's, it's a bait with, with a pedigree and a history of catching a lot of fish. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I only wanted to use the base mix. I didn't want the liquids in it, but I didn't convey that well enough. You know what I mean? I, 
sort of probably started telling them and tailed off and went into something else halfway through it, like you do. Um, but it, it, I picked it up like a dozen times and I just didn't like it. I had no choice, you know. The first, um, the first week of our session was so good that you just keep crack, throwing the bait in. And unusual for me, I've been using pretty much the same bait for the last year because I've just done so well on it. Normally, I use, I say to any of my customers, I'll use whatever's left over or whatever I've got most of. And it's as simple as that. And one, one rod might have something I'm mucking around with. But I've tended to stay with the same bait. Um, but I deep, can't, um, deep, how, oh, God, I can't even say it departmentalize so my car it, <laughs> in different areas of my car i had different stashes of bait on the yeah. basis that they might get taken away right so um everyone's fearful that their bait's going to get robbed off them so um i had no intention of trying to smuggle it because i think that's where you're going to get a heavy fine um if they do i mean so to touch briefly on this i mean it's put the fear into everybody I mean, so I, I work for the Home Office. I know quite a few people in Border Force. And at the moment, it's not really flagged up as an issue. No one really wants loads of bait. No one wants to destroy loads of bait. No one wants to hold loads of But on the other hand, you know, if they can put heavy fines onto a lot of people and create a lot of revenue, then that's something that could well happen. Um, but obviously, I, I was going for three weeks and I had quite a lot of bait. So, you know, the front had some... The, the middle of the car had some, the back had some, and I had to use this bait sooner than sooner than I wanted as it happened. Mm. Um, so, so shall I, shall I basically tell you um, the, the story of, of the trip? Because we're just sort of about there, aren't we? I think so, mate. Do you know what? I've got a, a, we need to go into it, definitely. I'll tell you what, yeah, you tell us the, the story of the trip, and then I've got a couple of questions just on, on, on sort of what you've said. But mm. I think if you sort of like lay it out, then that sounds perfect. Well, so the first night I'm 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 through anyway. No big deal, nothing untoward, nothing any different from normal. Driving through France and it's absolutely chucking it down. Um, so I'm heading off to my own lake, basically to have a look if any of the pipes or the shower or any of that need replacing. Because my friend Ian's coming over in two days, so if if there is, I can call him and it's going to be easier to get him from England than it is from France. So as it turns out. They all need replacing. Um, but the, the rain's really hammering down, and I'm thinking, I've got to go there for a night. I set up a brolly, you know, I mean, get absolutely soaked. Even if I don't fish, you know, it's just going to be miserable sitting there. Um, so I'm thinking, this, this is just stupid. So I pull off into the services, and I'm thinking, I'm, so after one day, I'm heading off to Etang's Moulinots in, uh, or Moulinot, in uh, the Champagne region. So I get, I'm ringing them on the phone basically to say can I come a day early because it makes no sense just to get soaked for a night um anyway they didn't answer the phone so I think oh do you know what I, I need to go to the blooming lake I don't want to go to the lake but I'm, I'm going to go there if nothing else right we're coming back to fish in seven days time I'll throw in 25 kilos all over the bait and uh you know the fishing will be good because I've got to do some work then anyway so I get there and it's absolutely just bouncing off the ground and i think i'm not getting out the car till it stops so i sat there for an hour and it it stopped everything's soaking got out all the grass is really long no one's been there to cut it or anything 
it's all overgrown, but the lake looks lovely. You know what I mean? There's fish rolling and jumping and stuff. And, uh, you know, the water level's really high. Everything's green. looks really nice. So I think I've been in, I've checked the shower, I've checked the mower, I've all the tools, everything that needs to do in. The boat's sunk at the other end. So that's got to be retrieved and bailed out. And I think I'll, I'll, stick, I'll stick three rods out. You know, I'm here for 12 hours. You know, let's, let's catch my first carp of the year. I'm quite keen. So anyway, by the time I get the second rod out, the first one's away. It's like an eight pound tench. Um, then I'm putting the first one back out, the second rod's away, and it's one of the stockies. It's like a 15, 16 pound. Then I think I get a bloody bream or something, but they're all big, but like 14, 15 pound. I don't mind catching them. I've seen them in my lake to 25 pound, and I really, really want to catch one of those. Um, anyway, so I've had about six or seven takes in two hours, um, and they're tench, bream, grass carp, stockies, nothing particularly worth catching. Um, but it's a bit of action and I've not fished for six months, so it's all welcome. So I got the rods out and powers off, 25 pound common, land that. I'm thinking, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Literally, as soon as I chuck one out, it's away. It's not normally like this. Um, so anyway, I've got two rods in, then one of them flies off. And that's like a, another tench away, because I thought it was a double, it was 9.15. Um, so, that's it. I got one rod out, and and I and I think I dragged it anyway in landing landing the uh, the twenty five pounder, and uh, it's in the middle. It's in a spot that I never really catch them. So I think that's it. Right, I'm right under me brolly. I'm as dry as I can be. It's pouring my rain again. You know, I just get my head down. So anyway, me, then my alarms going, and uh, I got no idea what time it is at all. As it happens, it was about two hours late. It was like bang on midnight absolutely pitch black there's no there's no light pollution at all there you know it's absolutely black um fish fought really hard knew it was one of the originals and i'm just thinking in my head oh because it's one of the originals i'm going to want a photo where's where's all my lights where's my bank sticks where's my tribe where's all that you know it's all i'm all i'm thinking anyway really really hard fight fish got i can see a, a like a a light colored flank fish goes in the net Put the net on the night station and i go and fumble around for five minutes looking for my phone and i put that on that's midnight put my waders on you know i'm getting sorted out now five or six years i've had my lake i've been desperate to catch this one fish right i call it the jurassic um when i bought the lake originally there was a picture of a, a pike which is about 15 pound and this really really apple sliced mirror of probably about 15 pound but an adult carp lying on the ground presumably dead and I, I met it was black and white i remember looking over and seeing 1971 written on it and she was like yeah 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 this and telling me this i said are there carp in the lake and she said no 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 we've never put carp in but maybe some um every year we put pike in you know and we catch the pike and we eat them and all that sort of malarkey so i've, I've always wanted to catch this fish knowing that it's definitely 50 it's probably 60 years old, right? Um, so all its tails all crumbled away and its fins. And the first year it was 19 pound. Well, just so the first time I walked around the lake, I saw some really nice fish and I saw a fish. It looked like the one in that photo, which got me quite excited. But then one of the first fish to come out was that fish. And I was like, oh my God, it's actually that fish. You know, it really is. So I know for a fact, 
that that is 50, 60 years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hashtag it world's oldest carp on, on Instagram. Um, so it got caught every week, about 19 pounds, started looking a bit tatty. And I said to my mate, at the end, this is 2015. Um, I said to my mate, if you catch it like in November, last week of the season, put it in the ladies' pond next door. Just let it go off and enjoy the rest of its life. Anyway, it didn't get seen for 18 months. Um, and I, I, I presumed it was dead. But then it came out and it was like, I think it was 25, 26 pound. Uh, but it looked a lot better. It looked shiny, looked cleaner, looked invigorated, you know, by obviously eating some bait. Um, so over the years, it's got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I think the last time a customer had it out, it was 37 and a half, which was about 18 months ago. Um, so when I got to the lake, I found a couple of corpses floating. I mean, as you do, if you have livestock, you have dead stock. It's, mm-hmm. it's as simple as that. And they're both sort of around that size. Now, the average size in my lake is probably upper 40s. So a fish of that size is unusual. Um, so I'm thinking, I can't tell because they're way, way too far gone. You couldn't even tell whether they're a mirror coming. I think, oh, you know, that's my chance gone again. So it was completely out of my head. Right? Complete. Every time for the last five years, I've landed a fish. I've looked in that landing net to see if it's this one, this Jurassic. Um, and anyway, I've gone and got my torch and made light. And it's pouring my rain, so I've put my coat on, I've put my hat on, got my waders on, and I turn the light on. And sure enough, there's those apple slices sitting in the net. I was going, oh, my God, you know, I've, I've actually caught it. Um, so like on that overnight, I'm just standing there in total darkness on my own with the fish that I've been after all this time. Um, just climbed in the water, unhooked it, quick way, stupid, useless self-take, slipped her up, slipped him, him or her away. And it was like, oh, my God, that's, that's absolutely incredible. Um, and even though I had no rods out, I mean, I, I just sort of sat there, like in the darkness, um, drinking a bit of rum from an air flask. You know, it was it was a, mag- a magic moment. And if I think, you know, if you get into a bit of a routine of blanking or spending time on your own or, you know, long travelling to lakes and stuff, you everyone gets a little bit despondent mm-hmm. at the time. And and yet those moments out of the blue you know, just totally make it, you know, they're, they're the special things, you know, I've probably had, I probably had a thousand carp bigger than that. Um, well, no, actually it was the biggest it's ever been. I, I'll revise that. Um, I've probably had three or 400 carp bigger than that, but that was certainly one that meant, you know, if not the most right up there. Sorry. How, how big was it, Jason? Mate? I, I, I promised, I promised the fish. I wouldn't tell anyone. Honestly, <laughs> 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 um, all my mates have been asking me, you know, and they said, did it go over 40? Did it go over 40? I said, why does it matter? You know, it's, it's over 60 years old, you know, it's, a, exactly. it's, a, yeah. it's an incredible fish. I mean, but I've only seen pictures of it and I, what I didn't realize was how fat it was and how hard it scrapped as well. You know what I mean? It, it really looked like a healthy fish, um, which is which is what you want, you know. Mm. Is, is this fish got sort of um, like a bit of history for coming out on the same baits, etc.? Is it sort no, of a creature um, a bit? Or? Well, okay. So looking back through the records, it's got a history of coming out in May and September, um, which are obviously the first weeks to sell. If you're a fishery owner, the first weeks people want are May or September and some people even charge more for those weeks mm-hmm. so it, 
inevitably they're the weeks that I never get to fish the lake. So that's a possible reason why I've never caught it. Um, so the last sort of 12 months, I've been doing a bit of intel. I've been ringing around asking everyone where they had it from. And I had a couple of spots in mind where, you know, it might come from. But also I went back to, to the same thing where I think of these old fish, you know, their, their receptors are that much more honed or developed um, and they're more sensitive to chemicals or extreme smells and, you know, a more natural sort of bait um, is going to be more likely to catch them. So, I, 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 yeah, I was driving to the lake with that in mind, but, you know, I'd pretty much forgotten about it by the... I mean, it, it's a crazy thing. So the first um, the first 60 pounder out of the lake I caught on an overnighter in February, um, where I was sleeping under the stars in minus three just to get a lorry load of gravel. Uh, and uh, I had a 63 common, which was pretty much on an overnighter last year for similar reasons. Um, you know, and people go, Jesus, man, you, you've, lit, you've gone to France for one night. Well, I've gone for... for business or you know fishery development reasons not for fishing but it's just crazy the way things have panned out it's almost you know like they do happen for a reason sometimes but with a little bit of thought thrown in as well perhaps yeah that's it so, so this fish sorry mate what so what bait was that did you have that on then was this on your sort of amalgamation bait you've just no sort of no it was no it wasn't so i call it um i call it great white so it's um it's a fish meal with with just one one liquid additive in one mill of it but it's it's uh and it smells of nothing you know it really it, it doesn't smell of anything but it's an incredible fish catcher um i mean it will catch anything it will catch which some people see as a bonus some people don't i've even had perch you know and not not retrieving like actually picking the bait up from yeah, a baited yeah. area um it, it will literally catch any fish that swims and I've never had a boilie that will catch perch before. Now that's uh, <laughs> it's a bit bizarre, but it, it, it it's that good of a tractor, um, and it cost me cost me six hundred quid for a litre. Oh wow! And uh, I'm not sure how much longer I'm even going to be able to get it for. I think you spoke about this, didn't you, on the last podcast? Yeah. Um, um. So yeah, it's it's done me well that bait, and to be honest. Then the following day, I packed up and I went on to Moulinots. And uh, I mean, I was sitting there and hadn't seen a fish all day. And uh, was watching. The, so I, I'd gone in the middle and there was a swim either side that my mate Ian could have the next day. And he was going to have the choice. Um, so the one I was going to recommend is there was fish bubbling in there. And uh, as the evening come, the sun started going down. I see a couple of smaller carp jump in it. And I thought, well, I'm not going to stick a rod in there just for the sake of them. Um, but then five minutes later, I see a really big fish roll in there. And we're talking two rods from the bank, yeah, or, mm -hmm. or Arthur Rapp or whatever it is, I don't know. Um, I thought, okay, I'm going to put a rod in there now. And sure enough, like I just got to sleep about midnight and that rattled off. Um, and that was 57.14. Um, so that was uh, that was on that bait. And that was one rod fishing, one, one rod length out in the next swim. Um, so my friend Ian turned up the next day and I said to him, look, mate, I've just had that. Um, and just as just as I was talking to him, it went off again out the blue. And that was, I think that was 48, nearly nearly 50 again. I said, well, that's your swim, mate. You know, if you want it, 
or else you can have my swim or you can have that one. I don't really care now. Do you know what I mean? Um, so he went in there and it never did another fish the whole week, seven days. He, he didn't have a bite in there after that, um, which was a bit weird. Oh. Is, is there many anglers on the lakes over there at the moment? Um, no, well, I think you can get, they'll have sort of 10 people on there a regular week. There was five of us. I mean, the owner, Terry, he, he, he I was, ca- I was catching one a night and one in the day, but you know, the average size was 50 pounds. So you're not going to argue. No. Um, I mean, it, it's a real nice venue that I fished some years ago. He, he moved in opposite me and he was fishing nowhere near me. You know what I mean? He was literally only fishing his own margin, but it, it cut me off for 36 hours. Um, I mean, that's the effect lines or angling can have on fish, you know, just to change the dynamic. Um, but then, you know, after that 36 hours, the next fish I had was this incredible scaly fish. Um, I mean, I put it up on Facebook, got about 500 likes. Um, it was when it went in the net, it was just a crazy fish. And he said to me, you remember telling a customer, uh, it had come out at 32 or 33 pound. And he said, imagine that when it's 40. Mm. Um, and it hadn't been seen for three or four years. Now it was nearly 50. Um, wow. It's, you know, one of the best looking fish. And I put it up because it was two days after the Jurassic and I put them up together. And everyone goes, oh, I like the one on the left. Um, and I'm just thinking, you know, it's a lovely fish, but, you know, I'd much rather have had the one on the right all day long. You know what I mean? I've, I've, I've I've been slightly obsessive about catching that fish for five years. Um, but when, when I came back to my own lake, that was the way the session went. I literally ticked off every fish I've never had, one after another. Um, and it was, it got to a point where um, there's one other old scaly one in there. I, I'm, I'm guessing he's a really old fish as well, um, but we don't know for sure. And then once that one went in, it was like, uh, um, do you know what? I've, it's completed now. You know, a little bit of the magic sort of gone. You know, I, I've literally had them all. Um, but it's taken me long enough. Yeah. So <clears throat> this this is your lake, isn't it? This one. Yeah. So I mean, back at Moulinots, I mean, I, I had 14 fish there, um, of which half of them were 50 pound. You know, um, I think the smallest one I had was 37 out of the 14. Um, so really, really average, a high average. Um, and then the last night, um, we I ran out of the great white bait and I'd, I'd been sticking the red bait out all, all the time. You know, I'd been thumping it out all the time, um, but I was putting off using it because I didn't want to. And even then I still thought I'd use the great white. And I thought, you know, I've been, I've been chucking it in like all week. I'll put a couple of rods out on it and uh, I'll put it out. It, and then that night, first fish, common, um, six, 60 pounder. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> okay. That's, that's given me a bit of confidence to fish with it now. Mm. Then, on, when, th- then when we went back to Badger, it was, um, it was just crazy. It was just like I left it. I mean, I'd been telling Ian, I was like, I couldn't keep two rods in the water and it was just the same. And like Ian was in and it was a tension, a stocky. And uh, I think my first fish back was uh, the half lean. Um, I've got to look at a few notes for this because I can't even, can't even remember the order. But... You, you posted your sort of your notebooks up on your um, your group page, didn't you? It was I, I keep, I keep, meti- 
yeah, yeah. impressive list of weights in there. <laughs> I, I keep I keep meticulous records. Um, so I mean, I knew I knew for a fact that um, from in the last calendar year exactly, um, I'd had a hundred a hundred and seventeen fish over forty pound. That's in the last year. Mm. Um, and Century put that up on a post on the website, and I I, I got bit of negative feedback from from people um which you know i i, I always think that if you either say nothing or say well done mate you know or, or scroll on you know what i mean there's there's no reason to be abusive to someone you don't know at all is there yeah um, people you know sat behind a, a keyboard they're pretty confident aren't they um Mm. We, we've had little bits of the podcast we've been pretty fortunate i guess actually it's been pretty much mostly mostly positive and we sort of we can take the piss out of ourselves quite easily as well so <laughs> we're sort of quite all right with it what was people's I mean, like umbrage yeah. with you there um i think that i was fishing and i was catching and that presumably i'd been on a lot of waters but um so i am doing a lot more fishing now i've been single now for two years after mm-hmm. 20 years of being married and I'm doing a lot more fishing and it's, it's more, much more important in my life because I've worked really hard and I've saved a bit of money and I've given myself some time to do it. But I mean, most of those 100 fish over 40 pounds, and it's also close to 40 over 50 as well, um, have come from nine or 10 weeks fishing. Mm. You know, I haven't been sat on the bank all the time. And they, plus they've all come from different lakes. Someone said, oh, we, anyone can catch 140s out their own lake. And I thought... Do you know what, mate? I'd love to have a lake where you could just turn up and catch 140s. I mean, how, how nice would it be to own a place like that? Um, but it was, do you know what? It was a bit like that. So my mate Ian, he was catching the stockies and uh, really, really pleased with them. You know, they're all up sort of five pound. You know, they look like they're fat and they might spawn. And fish in my lake have never really spawned, you know, because I think they're old and sterile and I think the new ones have pushed them around and energised them a bit, and I think it's a good thing. Uh, but my first fish back on the bank was £50.12, which is a, a half linear that I'd never caught. Um, and then that same afternoon, having just got there, I had a, a £54-pounder, um, which is a fit, which was actually the, the first fish that ever come out of my lake at £30. It was £31-pounder five years ago, and that's just done 54 um then i had another one called discus 5212 um which is a fish that i ticked off my list um and then i had a common 41 so that was that was my four fish for that day 350s and a 40 and i put in a solid six hours graft shoveling gravel um and mowing grass as well in between that you know <laughs> um which so, is pretty pretty uh, crazy but not nearly as crazy as the next morning because I set the alarm for five o'clock and I thought I'd do four hours fishing, nine o'clock on the button. I'll have a cup of coffee. Once I drank my coffee, knock it on the head, start doing jobs, start raking all the margins, cutting down the branches, dragging them down, getting them ready for burning. But it's pouring my rain still all the time. Um, but I put the rods out. First fish, um, I've got an oil painting on my wall of it. It's a fish called Big Red. Um, caught it the first year in my lake at 37 pound. Um, that came out at 59, 59 and a few ounces, weren't quite 60, but it's a real long fish. Then I had one 5114, which is a fish, a really, really pretty fish. It's got like a funny V tail, but 
lots of dotted scales. Um, and I was absolutely adamant that one was dead because I've not seen it for three years. Mm. Um, and I really, you know, I'd wanted to catch that and I just presumed it had gone. Um, so I was delighted to see that. Same way, I hadn't put any weight on. Then I had another one, 55.8, which is called single scale, which is another example of the same thing, really. Um, a lad had it at 51 pound. And it's just this one big scale in the middle. And I thought, where's that come from? I've never, ever seen it. And I went through the records. And the only time it had been caught was the first year when I'd had it at 28 pound. Um, but then I also had it in the winter at 57. Um, and this time it was 55. So literally in three hours of fishing, getting up a 59, a 51 and a 55. Um, just crazy. So gone off, done a full day's collar cutting down trees, shoveling gravel till I absolutely ate, pouring with rain, it's like black skies, got back in the bivvy, right? It's rain stopped for a bit, sunshine's come out, so I've put one rod out, and then it's the other scaly one I wanted, uh, Chunky Monkey, which is it's 38 pound, but again, you know, it's couldn't care less about the weight. It's just such a fish, you know, and I had it in the net, and I was just looking at it, and I was thinking, oh, I'm so pleased to catch you. Yeah, I really, really, that's done it now, you know, that's that's the full set, if you like, you know, everything. Um, and the photos come out really nicely of that. Um, Days. Was put it back for, you know, I've only been fishing half an hour. I'll stick another rod out. Um, it's gone on. So Ian in this time has had about 20 fish. Um, and I think he's had something like <laughs> 15 stockies, oh, three tension, two bream, you know, and, uh, He's just kept seeing me catch one fifty after another, and sure enough, the next one, fifty-two pound eight as well. <laughs> you know, just mental. So, um, right, seven fifties in, probably a total of twenty-four hours fishing. And, the, and like I say, the lake it, it isn't like that really. You know, it, it can be quite a tough lake at times. <laughs> is that are we? Is that because it's not been fished, Jace? Um. So so one. Um, Ian's got so much confidence in that great white bait. He, he was using the wafters and like, which are nice and critical and mm -hmm. catch everything that swims past it. I, I had told him that I'd thrown in 25 kilo of this plumion bait, right? And when I threw it, I threw it in, I, I'd, I'd done it to feed them. So I'd walked around the perimeter of the lake, throwing it as far as I could throw it. And then like the last 10 stood in the middle, just sticking it all over. So it went yeah. all over. So they, they were, they were really looking for it. Um, and, to, and to be honest, right, I occasionally fish pop-ups. Um, most, most of the time I fish wafters. It was probably the first time I caught on straight bottom bag, straight out of the bag for about two years. Right? And uh, I mean, someone's like, so can you take a picture of your rigs and show me? And it's like, you really don't want to see them, mate. <laughs> I, 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 I don't use chod rigs. Um, I don't use Ronnie rigs. I don't use spinner rigs. I don't put swivels on. Right? It's a hook tied on with any coated braid that I happen to have. I think they're all pretty much of a much. Tied on and then tied on the swivel at the other end about 10, 10 to 12 inches, mm -hmm. which is long for most people, I guess. Um, not least not to a really sharp hook. You know, I'm, I'm good at sharpening hooks. I can knock a point on it. And I saw someone the other day, like, you know, one, one fish, one hook. So I, 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 on that trip, I hooked 
40, 42 fish. Now, one, I like my line just exploded. Um, I can't explain it. I think it got trapped around a stick um, that was blowing on the wind, you know, and it just pulled tight. Um, so let's say I hooked 41 fish. I landed 41 fish. Um, and over the course of that three, re three weeks, I changed, I changed the hooks on its rod once. <laughs> no way. Yeah, I'm telling you. And I didn't lose a single one. So I, size six barbless, sharpened up, just one stroke, put a little point back on it every hook, every time. Wow. Ten days, ten days fishing, one hook. Yeah. Sorry, mate. Which, which hook is that? What do you use? Um, mostly I use uh, J Jamie Peters hooks. Um, and uh, J Precision. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And they, they tend to be quite a thick, strong gauge of wire. Um, and I, I, I've got used to using them, and I, I can put I can put a point straight back on them, literally with like one thing. Although I have found like um, I can't get on with any of those jag files. NGT tackle, what do people call them? No good tackle. Um, they make this little round file. It costs three quid. It's the business, you know. They can certainly make one good bit of tackle. It's that. I mean, literally go on eBay and buy yourself one. It's three quid. Um, they're fantastic. You know, it's two strokes of that. I can put a good point back on a hook. And I'm not saying do it. I'm not saying Christ, you know what I mean? Um, you know, use the same hook all week. I mean, part of me is probably quite lazy. But when you've been shoveling gravel for eight hours a day equally, then I can't necessarily be bothered to do much rig tying sort of thing. Mm. You know, you just want to do a bit of fishing. Um, yeah, my, rig, my rigs are appalling, but, you know, they work. Is that is that file got like a? Is it? It's rounded, isn't it? But it's got a flat edge. It it's, must have yeah, it's rounded. It's got like a little groove in it. Um, right. But I mean, I've got loads of them, but they they, they just seem to stay good. Mm. You know, I mean, the Jag ones, I, I, I use them for like two sessions, and it's like they they've got nothing left on it, no grit left on. You know, like yeah. a bit of Australian cricket to sandpaper. Yeah, I've I found a file just like an eBay special. It's like you say, it's a few quid and it's got, it's quite, it's got a really wide sort of flat edge. I can't remember what grit it is. They do sell loads of different grits, like different gauges, it's yeah. like 400 or something. And this thing's like a butterfly knife. It's um sort of in a plastic case uh, and you slide it open. It's like the blade sort of pops out, but it's the file. Um, and that's, that's the best one I've ever had, to be honest. And it was just a few quid, but I found, found that one's lasted longer than like the Jag ones, et cetera. I mean, the jag ones remove a lot of material off the hook quickly. Yeah. But they don't I, last long. And I don't think you need to either. Um, I mean, like a chemically sharpened hook, you know, overnight. I mean, that's not chemically sharp. I mean, hand sharpened. I mean, so I, I do change around a bit sometimes, you know, and if you leave them out longer than 24 hours, they can go quite rusty in themselves. Mm. Um, but also you can use that to your advantage. I mean, if you come back and you've got an absolutely like crystal clear point on it then you think oh it's been in the silt or you know it's been in a bit of weed or something you know even that gives you some information back you know but if there's any young kids or you know newcomers to the sport coming that would be my advice on on rigs and tackle rather than looking how you can stick an extra swivel or something on your rig or an extra bit of tungsten buddy just find like a hook sharpener you like and just get used to you know giving you I mean, Christ, it, how can it not be an advantage having a razor-sharp hook, right? For sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll tell you another thing as well. Right? People say just use a bigger lead 
obviously that that makes sense but you know if you're casting into thick silt you could be fishing a foot below it um i mean i i so the start of the week i was using something um that i'd made myself like an oil powder and a, um for my method feeder so i had one and a half ounce method feeders on now after about five days um that run out and i've got no doubt about it at all that that did get me some extra bites for sure mm-hmm. um but instead of swapping over and putting a three ounce lead on, I just kept the one and a half ounce method feeders on. And do you know what? I was still getting screaming takes and gooder colds. And I think <laughs> it's sort of like, no, I think it's sort of like the bolt machine, you know, with the surface, it's the tension um, sure. against the water, the surface area, you know, it, it acts like something bigger, but also, you know, with the heavy lead, if it hasn't ejected and it's donking down, it gives the fish something to use to get rid of the hook. Um, so I think using the lighter lead, if you can, or the method feeder as well, you're going to lose less fish. Um, plus, I think I'm fishing much better. Right, I'm fishing more now than I ever have done. And I've definitely noticed an improvement. I'm doing less stupid things, you know, um, as a regular way of life. <laughs> maturing, mate. Learning <laughs> mistakes. No, it's not. No, it's not maturing. It's just it's just. The more you do something, the better that you get, right? You know, it's 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 as simple as that. You know, I'm sure if I mess around with that fish finder on my boat um, for another week, I'll probably work out how it works. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Although technology is not your strong point, is it, Jason? Well, apparently not. No. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I come back from this session. I felt absolutely brain dead. I just bought a Chromebook and I've I've had to set it up for a secondary user because I can't remember the password. <laughs> Uh, so I just sorry, I'll buy another, I'll buy another one. Um, but yeah, I put this this like Android thing for the TV. You know, I, I can't get that to work at all. It comes on sometimes, sometimes it doesn't. But I think it's just having lousy internet, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, so just to sort of let's, let's take it back a little bit to to the, the the design of this bait that's that's come about by sort of mistake almost. Um, so you're almost sort of uh, looking at it like you've got a it was an oil-based flavor and an alcohol-based flavor, and you think that it's sort of like the different release time of attractants into the water is sort of favoring you there in a roundabout yeah, way. Well, not in a roundabout way. Uh, you, you want your bait to be working all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't know when the fish are going to arrive in your swim. They might come in 24 hours later. Um, you know, plus, let's say they come in four days later. How much left of your bait is there? I'm saying to people, you know, think think about your bait more by design and what, what it's actually doing. So chuck it in some water, check out how soft it goes, check out what chemicals are coming out. You know, take it after a day or so, see what you can still smell in it, you know, see what attractiveness is there is. I mean, with using powder flavours and palatants, you're giving the actual dry mix an identity and it's always going to have some sort of identity, which I think is why, you know, things like fish meals, you know liver green lip muscle works so well because they're still in that base mix until it actually breaks up and it's gone right yeah no for sure so yeah. is this is this something you think you're gonna sort of like is it gonna change the way you design a bait in the future do you think you're gonna no, no, something um, like this or it didn't have that bigger impact on you you've muted yourself again jace are we back in the game yeah, you're back in the game, mate. Yeah, <laughs> it's time for another Guinness. <laughs> um, so, uh, no, I've all, I've always looked at that, you know, and from my own fishing, yeah, I, I don't, 
tend to go to the same places very often. You know, I might go once as a fact-finding mission, two, go and do it. If I enjoy it, I might go back a third time. But generally speaking, the world's a very, very big place and I'm looking for somewhere else. So my bait needs to work, you know, straight away. And, and any bait that I sell to anyone else, let's say, like, it, it's a good bait will work from the off and it will keep working. It doesn't necessarily need pre-baiting and it should compete with everything else that's going in as well. But you've got to look at what suits you. If you're a sort of person that goes for 12 hours, you want most of your attraction in, in the bait front loaded to come out in that first 12 hours. You know, um, if you're a sort of person who's on a lake for a year, then maybe look at one of the fish mills with a strong identity. Right? If you're fishing for big fish or fish that haven't been seen or wary fish, then, you know, go for that great white or something, you know, but tailoring the approach, um, their approach to what they're using rather than just, oh, this has got X amount of 20s, X amount of 30s, it must be good, you know. I mean, one bloke always wants to buy what I'm using, right? But, I mean, in the case of that last bait, you know, I could have had it as a job lot for next to nothing because I didn't like it. I was only using it through necessity. Um, but it's given me a few ideas. And uh, even since I've been back the last four days, I've sourced a couple of things from America, which um, I really, really like the look of. And I mm. think it's quite, quite different. Yeah. So. <laughs> you can give us any, any little hints of what sort of avenues you're going down there or? Um, that quiet yeah, yeah. So one one is um, like a, a natural chemical um, that you find in all the onion family. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, um, a, that's a little teaser right there. Like yeah, it. but I mean, so I, I don't put anything in a bait that doesn't have a function. Um, I don't really like fillers as a bait maker. You you have to. Um, you know, I'd, I'd rather put bread in than soya because I think soya blocks up the natural emulsification of the eggs, right? Um, but even when I'm making a stick mix, I'm not just going to chuck something in to bind it up or bulk it out. Um, not so much stick mix for me, but I like using method mixes. Mm -hmm. And I, I carefully consider what goes in there, you know, like whether it's the onion granules or the oil powders, um, stuff like that. And that's that is often my first line of testing. I'll, I'll use something in a ground bait or a method feeder before I think about putting it in a boilie as well. Mm. Do, do you look at sort of like, do you ever do your own ferments or anything? I know you talk about onion a lot. Um, yeah. At the moment, um, I've been sort of fermenting garlic, which, <laughs> which is what I think in quite a unique right. way, okay. um, which I pro probably won't go into too much on the podcast. But have you been doing anything like that with the onion side of things? So this, this flat is horrendous, right? It's this top. It's full of fishing tackle. It's a tiny flat. <laughs> I, I've now got a pellet stacked everywhere because it's in French from a French company with French labels on, and I'm thinking that could be handy. Um, there's loads of particles here. So at the moment, I've got um, a couple of buckets of kefir grains on, which I'm germ germinating a giant maize in. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not a particle person, but you know, I don't just use boilies when I fish. You know, I like to use a lot of slop and a lot of soup and, you know, bulk everything out and try and get something happening. You know, even if it's from like small fish as a start or just clouding the water, whatever, you know. Fair days. Do you know what, fellas? I'm desperate. I've got to run to the toilet. So now's probably a good time if either of you need to leg it. 
it's either that or I'll let you two chat and I've got to, I've got to run. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good, man. Your little baby bladder. Yeah. I've got a question for you. Uh, do you know what? I'm, I'm pretty pissed. I looked at the time. I started drinking eight hours ago and it's finally catching up with me. I'm feeling a little bit, a little bit too far gone, but I jump in anyway, just while Pete's taking a leak. Um, we put on uh, Instagram really last minute that we were going to interview you tonight, Jason. Mm. And we've got a few questions and we'll probably just do some rapid fire towards the end, if that's all right. Yeah. But one of the guys asked about the Great White, which obviously you've just been discussing that, or you touched upon it in the beginning. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is true, but he said you only made it in barrels um, and he wants to know why that was. Is, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I used to do the bait out of the garage myself um and i'd always have everything in stock and i'd go out and i'd do my shift at work like 10 or 12 hours and i'd come home and even if it was midnight i would still book all the orders on um because of my personal circumstances i can't do that now so now um i have jeff jeff bowers helps me out he um he sends all my orders out for me um he's he's a good friend jeff right you know We've known each other a long, long time. And without him, I couldn't I couldn't do the logistics of it. Now, sometimes mm. it takes the orders a bit longer, but I also have an area of his factory which he lets me use for storing stuff, right? Free of charge, um, but I can hold about a ton of bait there. Now, in a really busy week, I could do a ton of bait. Um, so I, I've sort of, you know, I've gone up to four lines now, so I only do them in 15s and 18s. Um, and it reflects how much bait I could store literally and have it in stock, you know, so I, I can't really have more than a ton of bait made up for it. Now, the good thing about that is even though it's, it's a sort of shelf life or a bait that doesn't go off, um, it's always fresh. You know, whatever you get has always been made in the last couple of weeks. But if I did every size going, I would only be able to do one bait. Now, when it's quiet, I'll do custom orders. You know, if someone wants a load of 24 mils, you know, loads of 12 mils, I'll do them. But when it's busy, it's because of stock rotation. That, that's the only reason. And with the Great White, because it's such a, like a radical bait about it. Everything, everything about it is radical. You know, the appearance of it, um, the fact that it's almost got no attractors to it. It is a nutritional bait. Um, I just thought, let's do something completely different. Let's make it mm. A pellet or something you know yeah yeah so, so that's why um uh I was gonna say, i'm always i'm always totally transparent about everything um and always have been but that's that's the one thing i can't be i mean literally two or three times a week i have to look with these suppliers whether i can buy some of this additive and if mm. i cannot and if i cannot buy it right and I, I used to get it from Poland. Now I can't get it from Poland for some reason because of the EU Brexit thing. But they mm. will send it to Germany. And obviously, Germany obviously still in the EU, but they will send it to me. I don't know why, but they put their bit on top as well. Um, but if someone else decided they want to buy it, there wouldn't be any for me. So that's the only reason. I mean, um, you know, we've had various conversations across different platforms with different people about you know, the composition of Scopex or Rod Hutchinson's Monster Crab and uh, what exactly is in it. Well, this book that I've done with Empress now, the recipe's in there. You know, if you want to know exactly, 
exactly, then it's in there. Um, and, and look, there's other things like that as well. You know, there's not many secrets. I'll share most things for most people. And I'm sure there's, there's um, I think there's 10 or 11 chapters in the book on bait. Uh, yeah, we, we got to talk about this book in, in a minute. But I, I, you said you listened to the John Baker episode that we did. Um, he said that he's producing the exact scope recipe. Is, is, do you make him right on that? Is it exactly the same recipe you've well, got? Well, I don't, I don't know because I've not looked at his. Or, or, ah, okay. He hasn't confirmed, yeah. but um, say def, definitely like that. I think it's a monster crab. Um, yeah. <laughs> You know, you I, give, I, I, you've given out these recipes in your new book. They're in there, word, word for word, so you can see exactly. Um, mm. There's other secrets as well. Um, just think, people are just guessing and they're saying there's this. Mm. So it's there, black and white. You know, you want to know what's in it? That's what's in it. No. <laughs> Good luck. Nice, mate. Yeah. I'm looking forward to this book. I mean, this, you. If you remember on our last podcast we did together, you mentioned this, didn't you? You said I might do a book. Um, been, do you remember? I've been, doing, I've been do, well. So I've I've done sort of uh, how many have I done? I've done three like composition books. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I've, yeah. I've, I've just sort of put together as an editor, but this. Um, so this goes back to my first ever cart by design, which was 1984, um, and that the first section is all my early fishing days. Um, as a teenager, young 20s, which is sort of, you know, Waveney Valley, um, St. Uh, St. Ives at, at the end of it, uh, but sort of Hart, Hertfordshire, that sort of area, Essex. And uh, the second section is all bait. And, and that it, I think it was the deciding factor in that I've got to the point where I'm just as likely to forget stuff now um, as think of something new. Um, so almost certainly, you know, your ideas change, but how much literature is there actually about carp bait? You know, I mean, I remember talking to carp, Tim Paisley a couple of years ago when he brought out his one, and he said, look, I make no bones about it. It's not a new book. It's just literally all the stuff I've written about bait in one place as a composition. Um, mm. Just for the record, for the people that are interested, it's no more than that, you know? Um, I'm sure. I'm sure a few of the things that are, are in there will be sort of quite eye-opening, though, um, because I, I never really followed any pattern or anyone else's rules. You know, I, I don't see anyone else's baits. I just do my own thing. But um, obviously, worked in the industry as well and know a few of the secrets, sort of thing. Sounds good to me, mate. I'm sure it'll go down well. What What's the release date for it? And if anyone's interested in it, how would they go about ordering it? Well, it's that impress now, so it's entirely in their hands. Um, I've pre I've sold, so I think, 300 copies now, pre-orders. Um, so you can pre-order it through both my websites, which is theabait.com or the fishing lake, which is ldbcarp.com. Um, so everyone that pre-orders it um, prior to it coming out will get like a signed bookmark with a number on. And we'll have a draw for all those numbers, and the winner of that I'll take on a on a all expenses paid holiday to France somewhere, you know, which might be Moan Lake or it might be somewhere else, but um, it'll be all sort of travel and bait and everything thrown in, yeah. Very nice, mate. Smuggled bait. <laughs> <laughs> Me and Peter have to enter. Can you imagine if we went? <laughs> yeah. Fuck. 
carbs. <laughs> well, right. So I had a lad come around my like uh, around my house last night. Well, three lads, um, and they're taking some new mats and shower the showers. I'm going to plumb them in for me and repair the pipes and stuff. But they're they're actually a paying customer, and I carried this stuff out to his van. And he was showing me like all the panels in his van that he'd unscrewed and put the bait in there. And I was thinking, oh my God, you know, that's it's smuggling. You know, you know, but the very fact that you've done that, you know, you're doing wrong and you're trying to hide it. Mm. And that's, that's where they're going to have an issue with you, you know. But he, apart from that, right, imagine they put them through the 3D scanner and it comes up that there's all this stuff yeah, stuck in the back they'll go fucking hell we've got something here and uh, they'll open it up and it'll be like a bit of method mix or something mental <laughs> <laughs> well you can imagine it can't you because yeah. they know exactly where to look you know um, oh mate um, it's a real yeah. problem isn't it it's sad really it's kind of sad that it's come to this it is um, I mean so you know without opening up the whole Brexit worm again I don't think anyone needs to go there what's done What's done is done right. Um, I just don't think anyone knew what they were voting for. Um, it's not like the Scottish referendum where they had the choice. You can be part of England or you can fuck off. Um, <laughs> and even that six or seven years later, they want to do it again, don't they? Um, mm-hmm. But I, mean, I don't think anyone knew what they wanted. It's like, we want to close our borders. Well, the, the, only, the only person that we've closed our borders to are our own people at the moment. <laughs> Well, it's kind of ironic, really. Um, but it's not sour grapes, mate. I mean, I've lost, I've lost forty forty thousand uh, pounds through COVID, through the lake, through customers not going. But you know, I've reinvented myself and I've kept myself employment and I've kept myself working, um, which has been good in its own right. You know, met new people, done new things. Um, yeah. Do you, do you see yourself moving out on the continent at all, Jason? No, no, uh, no. I, I, I kind, I kind of, I kind of like being near society, not too close to it. I mean, there's like two girls and a bloke that have been punching each other outside this window now for about half an hour, screaming <laughs> and shouting. I don't know if you've got any of that on the audio. I've been sort of watching the development, like, like you do, oh. just nosy treacle beaking out the window. Um, but no, I, I like occasionally going to football. I like having Costa coffee. You know, and all that sort of stuff. I like being near the airports. I like being near uh, the ports. I like being near my friends and stuff. Um, I, I'd love to have a lake in England that I could just have to myself, but you know, that's that's lottery money. You know, mm. it's never never going to happen. I mean, even lakes in France now, I've got really hard to find. There's more people looking than properties available. Yeah, I can believe that. I can believe that. Plus the world's the world's getting smaller. Well, it's not it's, it's actually been made a lot larger by COVID. Um, but generally speaking, COVID aside, take that out the picture. You know, you can go anywhere, do anything. And there's this, you know, for me, I love travel. You know, it's not just the fishing, it's you know, getting there, turning up somewhere completely new where you don't necessarily know what the possibilities and you know. Yeah, love it, mate. Awesome, man. Awesome. So, I mean, obviously, you, you've just got back from a hell of a trip for, uh, to France. Is there any other stories there that you want to go over before we kind of circle back around and move on to something else? Well, it, it was like, it was just like carrying on from last year. So, like, last year, um, I got furloughed from one of my jobs. 
which was mm. basically going to pay all my sort of bills for two or three months. And, uh, and I was thinking, do you know what? There's, no one's going to France. No one's taking their bookings. I could go almost anywhere I want to go. Um, and, and there's there's no control over it. Do you know what I mean? The, mm. the, you know, they're not enforced. So I, I literally, I went all over the place last year and just had an absolutely insane time catching loads of big fish. Um, and it, it just carried on from there. But the end of the trip, I mean, after 21 days of just sitting in mud and pouring rain and everything being damp and smelly and cold, I mean, Jesus, I mean, there was frost some night for the end of the night. <coughs> just crazy weather. Yeah, savage. Um, yeah. And then the last three days, I was back on my own again. I went to a French public water, which is quite mm. a big, big water. Um, I'm booked on there for three whole weeks in July. And I went to sort of scope it out because I've, I've booked this one particular swim, right? And uh, it's a swim no one likes, but it commands a lot of water. And for a public water, no one can really interfere with you because it's sort of on the end. Um, and I got there and I'd had enough by then. I mean, the wind was howling um, and I just, I was the wrong end of the wind. Um, I found some fish in a bay. I went around there stalking in waders for three hours. It poured the whole time. Next morning, I thought, I ain't, I'm not going to let it beat me. Um, so I got back in the car, drove around there, put three rods out in the bay, and I sat in my car with a sandbox, box watching the rain smash down on the bonnet for three hours. Um, and I managed to put up with that for eight hours before I went back to my swim and put them out. But then I'm lying in my bivy that last night, and I could just hear all the fish badoshing, like over where my left-hand rod should be. Um, and I'm thinking, okay, so... They will come up the end of this lake. Uh, and I'm sure with three weeks and a lot of bait, hopefully if they don't take it off me, I can really influence the decision here and have a good time. But mm. again, it's it's testing yourself, you know. I'm I'm I go away for a week with my friends, you know, like a lot of people do, and it's sort of a semi-holiday. And we we got to the point now where like even though I do keep records of all my fish and photos of them and I write everything down, you know. It's all about the experience, you know. I've had good weeks yeah. where I've blanked, um, and I'm not making that up. It's absolutely true. I mean, Turkey, um, we only did about eight hours fishing a day, and it was it was like being on the ocean. We went out in these boats, um, like a big um, tourist boat, and we fished from the roof of that, and like 300 yards out with a zodiac, and then the wind got up, and you know you had to go back again, and you couldn't. Too dangerous to stay out there. And it was sort of brackish water. You could see like all the mullet shoaling up like you do on David mm. Attenborough or the bait balls and all that. And I was thinking, Christ, are we actually in the sea? Um, and then one of, one of my mates did have one out of the blue. He had like a mid-30 common. I was going, mate, that is so lucky. You know, if someone, if someone said to you, you can't leave here until you catch one. I mean, I could still be there now. Um, but it was a great holiday, you know, because we was all in the bar every night, you know, having nice food and with our friends, you know, drinks and stuff. It was, it was good. Uh, caught nothing. <laughs> it's the way it goes, isn't it? The last time you updated me on this recent trip that you've just come back from, um, I think it was towards the end, but tell us if you've had any more, because people love numbers, don't they? Let's be honest. Uh, you had 260s, 1250s, yeah. and 440s, and probably a fuckload of 30s. Yeah. Is that right, yeah? Yeah, 42 fish. Um, two, 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 two or three of my, my stockies, but other than that, everything else, mid-30s and up. Um, so since the start of COVID lockdown last year, 
I think I'm on 145 fish. Um, That's incredible. Over 40 pounds. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the book there. 42 fish over 50 pounds. But again, um, I love catching fish, right? Um, So a a bit I took uh, from the Bill interview, Bill Cotton interview he did. And also, well, I've seen Steve Briggs has said the same thing. He said, like, if you catch the most fish or you go out of your way to, you know, rinse the place, you're probably going to miss out on um, on some of the real big ones. And, and a prime example of that is the lad fishing opposite me at Moulineau. He'd been to the lake 30 times now. You know, that's not my bag, but really nice lad. Really got on well with him, you know, and he loves the lake. It's a lovely lake, right? And, He'd been there two weeks and he had kept his left hand rod along this dam under this bush, fed it every day, baited it every day. But he'd had nothing there um, the whole time. And then the, the, the last night we were there, he had the late record, uh, 60, 67 pound common, you know. And that was just a prime example of that. And I think this time of year, even more so, you know, just before they're thinking about spawning, those big females will try and hide away or stay away from the males as remote as they can, you know, because they don't want to get jostled before they need to be and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think sometimes if you're fishing for the biggest fish that are available in that particular venue, you, you have to target them. You have to look at a bait that's more likely to catch them and an area where they're more likely to be. Um, you know, and certainly people do that in the UK, don't they? They look at when they were caught, where they were caught from, all that sort of thing, you know, it's doing doing your intel um i'm not like that i just i, I do like setting myself targets um and i do like that rod to be bent regularly you know the day i stop get bored of catching 20s and 30s i probably need to give up right i would say yes mate i don't know if sam's got technical problems he's he's vanished by the looks of it um i probably <laughs> bored him to death i think i was cracking on there <laughs> no. for quite a while you know <laughs> no he asked the question numbers <laughs> but i've like, so I, I, you know, I run a bait company and people send me, um, well, it's, it's, it's more of like a, an evolved hobby, right, than a company. I don't, have, I don't have field testers. It's word of mouth. You know, I mean, I don't need publicity. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a lad today, he helped me out last year. Um, when, no, he helped me out. His wife helped me out proofreading the book. So I sent him some bait. Um, he's just had a late record today, 36 pounds. So I absolutely chuffed. Um, and there's some comment like, you know, it's not the sort of size of your fish or something. So, mate, you catch what's in front of you. You know what I mean? I go on Instagram, if I see a picture of a kid holding an 11 pounder with a big smile on his face and a, and a big thick mat underneath, it gets a like every time. Yeah, You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I mean, carp care, that's, some, that's something that's sort of uh, oiking me a bit at the moment. You know, all this standing fish up on their belly stuff. You know what I mean? I'll, or don't get me on that one. No. Yeah, to be honest with you, Jace, I, I don't see a great deal of it. I just see more people sort of complaining about it, if that makes sense. I don't know. I don't know if there's a lot of people out there want to sort of just virtue signal a little bit or whether there's a lot of it going on. It gets mirrored, you know what I mean? If if um if if so I mean I I, I love Alan Blair, right? He's he's infectious, he's his videos are great, he loves a brace shot, um, he loves one standing up with something, but Alan likes catching all sizes of fish, you know, and mm. that, having, an, having a sort of 15 pounder or a 20 pounder or whatever stood up on the mat, 
isn't anything like having an ancient old 60 pounder stood up on its vital organs, you know? Um, yeah. So then I saw a picture at that public water, um, the woman that was come around, she said, oh, look, this has just been out down the other end of the lake. Um, and it was like a 68 pounder and the bloke had just took a picture of it, just sitting on the mat, stood up on its stomach and walked away and was taking pictures of it. Um, now, those fish are gonna live a longer longer if they don't come out of the water. You know, that, that's, that's a fact. Um, you, you could argue, and people do argue, you know, you look at um, Peter Springate's brace shots from whenever, 1980, and those fish lived a long, fruitful life. Well, yeah, but they're, they're not 50, 60, 70 pounders, are they? One, but also we know better now, right? So there wouldn't be carp in as many lakes if people didn't move them around. I mean, it was a fact of life. Right in in the eighties, people used to move. Um, this is going to be quite controversial now, but people used to move carp, um, and to some extent, it it didn't do that much damage. But we now know the viruses that can be spread. I mean, actually, people putting goldfish from their tank into a pond is even worse. Um, but even even with France, right? And there was a big thing last year where they bought, you know, the massive common from Shantycock and put it in a little pond. Now, I'm 100% totally against that. You know, I want to catch that fish in a fantastic environment where it lived. You know, don't, don't do that. But if you go back again to the first, you know, anglers that used to go over to Shanty and that, when the French caught those fish, they would knock them on the head and eat them or take them home and show their family and throw them in the bin. So the guys that were taking them, putting them in their lakes, you know what I mean? They, they were probably saving them from a fate, if you like, but we've moved on. We know better, you know, everything in life, when you get more knowledge, you get more understanding and you know what's right and wrong. And I just think with the whole fish care thing, it's gone backwards. You know, seeing pictures of someone standing there with five retainers, like in the water. Mate, you know, what? why, why are you doing that? You know what I mean? Like, just have some respect for the fish, take your picture, put the weight, put it back. But that's that's why I see it. But then I've become a fishery owner now, so I probably look at things in a different way. But for me, you know, I'd rather just have a quick rubbish self-take. It looks vaguely like a fish. Um, wish I could do it a bit better, but that fish swim off and be happy. Have you got any specific rules, especially for like the larger fish in your lakes, Jason? Well, I, 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 so um, a couple of years ago, I decided that all the fish should stay in the lake. You know, people should bring waders or boots and get in with them and weigh them and photograph them in the way. So I think statistically, the year before we'd had, again, I haven't got the statistics, but I'll give you a rough guess at what they were. It was something like 120 captures over the season. So then when we started doing that, um, the following year, it went to 220 or something. So it was like a 70% increase in captures by not taking the fish out of the water. Um, which to me is just, it's proof, you know, you can only judge anything by actual results or criteria, and it, it's just staring you in the face. I mean, that big common uh, Etang Saucy that, you know, was the world record 100 pounder. Mm -hmm. I think that would probably still be swimming around now and it'd probably be 120 pound if it hadn't come out and been on the bank for so long, so many times, you know? Uh, I'm, I'm, I might be wrong, but, you know, I, 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 I think, I think we, we, we owe, from the moment we hook a fish to the moment we put it back, 
the care is down to us as individuals, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just going to quickly, sorry, Sam, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you oh, perfectly. You, yeah, sorry, you were just messaging yeah. me. We think you were muted, mate. Definitely not muted. No, don't know what happened. <laughs> there we go. This is a nice little edit for you later, mate. Oh, yeah. I'm editing this one of my feet. <laughs> I'll do yeah. it. It's on my laptop, actually. I'll do it, mate. I may as well. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? Well, a bit, a bit of controversy. <laughs> no, no, not a controversy. Oh, we have controversy, mate. We always argue about if uh, when people make a... Like, I've interrupted the flow of things there, so we'll probably edit this a little bit out to keep it smooth. Yeah. Um, it's remarkable, actually. The listeners don't really realise, I guess, the amount of work that goes into sort of the production of the podcast, even though with... No, Go I've got to say that I've been loving them um, because I mean, so I'm doing lots of night shifts, you know, and I'm not saying it's two hours to kill sort of thing, but you know, I mean, you, you just put it on and you listen, and mm-hmm. then you look at the clock and two hours have gone by. I've been paid handsomely for, for listening to that for two hours. That's all right. And, uh, you know how to take that. Um, no, 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 take it with a compliment. <laughs> I'm joking, mate. I'm joking. No, seriously. And, and yeah, you, I'm joking. For anglers in, the, <clears throat> anglers in the bivvy as well, you know, you don't, you don't need extra yeah. battery packs or anything. You just put it on and you've got a bit of company there, haven't you? You know, block out the sound of the wind hitting the straps on the tent and stuff. Yeah. Jason, mate, well, I'm not just saying it, and I really wouldn't. We get a lot of messages about you. You and um, and Dean, you people seem to love it. And uh, we're always getting messages, aren't we, Pete? Most days we're like, oh, mm-hmm. just... Just found your podcast. Love the the bait ones from Dean and Jason, and um, yeah, people really get into it. It's like you say. I think you can kind of switch off and you're driving or you're working or whatever you're doing, and you can just listen to basically like a radio, but it's about carp fishing. Um, I think people like it. I, I think uh, yeah, I think podcasts are good for that kind of scenario, aren't they? Going I mean, well. I don't, I, yeah, I don't like listening to my own voice. It just seems really droney and stuff. But, <laughs> no, I, it's I, not. Yours isn't. I, no. I do I do think, you know, I mean, some people say, oh, you oversimplify things, carp aren't people. But I think if, if you can break things down into things that, you know, everyone gets out of fishing what they want to get out of it. You know what mm. I mean? It might be the guy that goes, buys a bag of bait, wants it to work, goes catching a few fish, really happy, you know, he's had a lovely day out. Um, and he'll go again like next month or something something like they're not all absolute lunatics where it runs their life and they're thinking about it all the time um but sometimes just putting something in a simple thing it drops into place you think yeah that's right yeah that that makes sense to me do you know what i mean um and a lot of things comes from experience and you need to work it out yourself so i mean if if we're going to be controversial again um about two years ago I absolutely hated the idea of using barbless hooks. You know, I mean, I was thinking they would always drop off and everyone was in too important to lose to do any experiments with them. I mean, I've, I've used nothing but barbless hooks now for about three years. Um, mm. Now, I'll, I'll also say I'm mostly fishing for a fair size of fish and they're quite a thick gauge of hook. So, like, if you're talking about commercial fisheries with a thin wire hook, I can see how it's like a cheese wire and it just rips out and you get that mouth damage. I can see that. But on big carp fishing, mate, virtually every single fish I land, and I land virtually every fish as well for a start, um, when, when they're in the net, they're unhooked. Do you know what I mean? How, that, that makes life a lot, lot simpler 
on so mm-hmm. many on so many levels. Um, you know, and I'm I'm not taking the account, and I'm look even I go to look for the mark to put some ointment on it or something like that. Sometimes I can't even see the mark. Yeah. You know, and I'm thinking, hey, you know, I wish I'd done I wish I'd done this years ago. Plus the other thing yeah. is. I'm using these razor sharp hooks and like in conjunction with a three or four ounce leg and I'm scared stiff of ripping them through my fingers and having to pull them out with yeah. the pliers as well. You know, that's another, that's probably the main reason why I started doing it in the first place. Yeah. First, yeah. Time, you do, first time you do that, you think you poor bastard fish, you know what I mean? Like, I'm so mm. sorry, that really hurts. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you on the barbless and uh, I know I'm going to, I'm going to sound a bit soft now, but I think, you got we got a fucking we have or we should have a responsibility to the wildlife as well. So like shit happens, people crack off, you'll put rigs in trees. Yeah, of course you should get them as much as you can. But like just you know, bird life picking up um discharged rigs, etc. I know most people don't give a fuck about the birds, but in the, the day it's an animal, we're out there in yeah. the environment. Um, we should have a responsibility to to yes, they're still going to get hooked up by Tim. I promise you, they'll get off a barbless hook a lot fucking easier than they would a barbed hook. So for you know, me, do you know what? Like, I mean, I'll just jump in quickly there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's 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 what makes the headlines as well. Do you know what I mean? No exactly. One's, no exactly. one's necessarily interested in like how thick your mat is, but yeah. the national newspaper are interested in seeing dead birds hanging from fishing line and stuff. Hundred you know, percent. Yeah. The, you'll be judged on that as anglers, you know? Um, I mean, yep. the whole the whole lot of thing. No one really cares, you know, how, how pe- fishing people are affected or their business or everything. If it's your yeah. business, it's everything. It's your life. It's your livelihood, you know? And you think, why has that creature been introduced, um, you know, at someone's whim? But the fact it has, and it's not going away, you know what I mean? It, it, it's too successful at what it does. Mm. Uh, and, and the only people, again, that are likely to have any clout at all are the bird people, because there's yeah. so many of them, RSPB. And if otters start making inroads into wild birds, then they'll get a voice. Anglers don't really have a massive voice, you know. Um, you've only got to look at the pollution programme um, with the sewage being pumped in the rivers. I mean, it's shocking. Mm. Sorry. Totally agree, mate. No, no, no. It's a good point. It's good points. Yeah, I totally agree. I agree with you. Um, and I mean, in this day and age where, you know, veganism and, and you know, animal rights is getting so much more prevalent, I'm all for animal rights. I, I really, really am. You know, I'm not poo-pooing that. But in this day and age, you know, angling, it's you've got to be a little bit cautious about how we come across in the public eye because, you know, we like you've rightly said, we are susceptible to a lot of scrutiny, aren't we? Um, Social media now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, horse, like, welfare, I mean, I don't know if you follow horse racing at all. Um, so, like, one of the top trainers in Ireland just before the Cheltenham, go, uh, Cheltenham Festival was seen on a, sitting on a dead horse with, like, a thumbs up on his mobile phone. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, that front page of the national paper the next day, you know, that guy all of a sudden, he doesn't, he doesn't have a livelihood because mm. of, of that one picture. Now, I kind of think that's fair enough, mate. You know what I mean? Like, I think that was incredibly disrespectful, but, um, and he should know mm. about him, but phew, mate, you get, you get hung and tried now by social media. You, yeah. 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 And they're only getting one side of the story, aren't they? You know? Yeah, sure. Mm. 
All right, mate. Well, I tell you what, that's probably enough politics for, for as far as our podcast goes. We've got quite a few uh, listener. Sorry, mate. I'm proper pissed here, fumbling my words. We've got quite a few questions from our listeners um, that we want to go over. I think before we go on to that, Pete, you had a couple of questions for Jason regarding what he was speaking about in the beginning, didn't you? I sort we sort of um, gone over that. It was about his uh, oh, bait, bait design and things in the future. Yeah, let's let's oh. go to the Facebook ones. I think we've had some great questions actually as well, haven't we? Do you want to do them, Pete, or do you want me to? Uh, we got we got some from Instagram as well. I'll tell you what, I'll go for a couple of the Facebook ones. I don't I don't think I'm even on your Facebook, am I? Shit. Um, I don't know. Do you know what, Jace? I actually tried to tag you in the in the post, but I, I couldn't find you. That's um, probably why. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh man, seriously, like modern life is so complicated. <laughs> I mean, I, I I I come I come back from three weeks, like I'll say in the wilderness, right? Um, and just like out of touch with everything and sort of stressed by it as well, you know? Um, and that, that's the great thing about fishing as well. You sometimes yeah. you don't even know you're having a good time when you are, and mm. you have to just sort of sit back and think, you know, this is, this is pretty decent. Well, yeah. If you think modern life's complicated, mate, you wait till you get into some of these questions. Christ. <laughs> 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 no, no, I've, I've had, I've had 30 or more years of bait punishers. Um, I've been asked the same. A punisher has a lifespan of about two years. And, <laughs> and when they peter out, they're replaced by a fresh punisher with the same questions. <laughs> Seriously. Uh, no, yeah, some of these are pretty pretty unique as well. Go, I'll, go, I'll go in with a lighthearted one first. This is from Luke Pepper. Uh, if you could ask a carp one question, what would it be? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good question. No, no, no. It, it's it's a great question. Yeah, um, it, it's a great question. Um, I probably want to know about its eyesight. In all honesty, I yeah, think that's a much, good shout, mate. Yeah, how mm. much? How, how much? Just just how much they can see, you know? Um, I mean, people say why why don't floating baits work so well in Holland? Um, uh, in France, I mean, I've even had, I've, I've I've had fish off the Saint Lawrence River Seaway in in, uh, in the States on floating boats, um, and I think it's all about water clarity, nothing else at all. It's water clarity. If you if you mm. fish a water that's really clear, floating boats always work well, you know, because clearly they're seeing them, aren't they? Yeah. Sure. I, I'll, I'll tell you another one. Right, there's a cast. Uh, you might know. You might. I, I think it's. A, I think it's called El Elton Palace in South London. Have you ever been there? No. So it's got a moat around it with carping. And I'm, I remember I was standing at the top of this uh, castle or whatever. I'm sure it was there. And I saw these people walk around the corner. And the carp saw them as well from 100 metres away, right, and swam towards them. Obviously, that's how they get fed with bread, right? But they had seen these people from, like, 100 metres. And I was thinking, that, that's insane. You know, yeah, I think D Dean's coming back on to go into the the depths of that. He's really looked into it, all the the tetramats and all that stuff. He was telling me about it on a phone call, but to be honest, he fucking lost me after about twenty minutes. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, I mean, like shit. You know, can you can you actually see the hook? Can you see yeah. the rig components? You know, when you've got feeding fish in the water and the water's clouding up. I mean. Clearly, they're masters of their own environment. You know, people think like, 
how can it find a piece of plastic sweet corn in the dark? Well, I mean, obviously they can see in the dark to some degree, you know, mm. there's no doubt about it. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, fucking, it's getting dark, it's bedtime. <laughs> you know, I mean, how many lakes only fish well at night? You know, and is that because they can, I, I don't know. Yeah, I think that'd be my, like, my question to a carp, like, you know, yeah. I'd give them an eye, eyesight test. <laughs> That's a good one. And I think some fish, their eyes actually change when it gets dark. So they're, I mean, I know all of our, like our pupils expand and close. It's something different than that. And I don't know exactly. And I wouldn't want to speak on it because I'm definitely not an expert. And I don't know whether that would extend to carp or not. But that would be an interesting one to know if the way they percept light and, and things changes when it gets dark. But yeah, anyway, yeah. sorry, man, to taking the taking it off course. Good, good answer though, Jason. Good mm -hmm. one, mate. Very good. Right, let's let's move on to the next one. Uh, so this is from Stephen White. So Stephen's obviously featured on the podcast. Um, he's also uh, he's also um, proofread uh, half of my book for me as well. Uh, oh, do you know Stephen? Do you? Um, well, only through communication, um, and it was it was probably a bit before the podcast or. Certainly, you know, that was heightened it a bit more. But, yeah, he's meticulously read through um, what I would regard as the most boring of the sections of my book, of my book um, simply because it's lots of caught this, caught that, did this, caught that. Um, whereas I think I would say that the, the first section, the old days, we, we definitely used to get up to a lot more scrapes, you know, and there's, there's quite, a, I mm. think it's quite quite a lot of humour in it, you know, um, about digging up the golf course the day before Bruce Forsyth's Pro Celebrity Challenge and stuff like that. But so it's, that's all in there. Um, the book bit is reasonably technical, you know, to some people's perception of extremely technical. Um, then you've got a section of like, just sort of my travels around the world, which I, you know, I, I don't know, I, I found that the least enthralling to write of it. And then the last section was all of last year. It was the recent stuff, which was a whole lot of fun, you know, and quite fresh in my mind. Um, but yeah, he I printed it off and he trawled through that and he did it in he did it in probably a week, a week or two he, weeks for me. He's the perfect guy for that kind of thing. Yeah, he's a very meticulous guy. And uh, and Wayne Pennell and his wife Marie as well did the other half as well, if they're listening. So thank you very much for that. And sure. uh I'm sure they found lots of mistakes. <laughs> that's it. Cool. Right. So Stephen says, now this is this is one that's going to get the, no, the, the brain matter working. Um, do you think that different carboxylic acids stimulate the same receptor? Last time you mentioned giving a match angler your acid mix and the chap having to lower the levels used. Presumably the pegs were close together and possibly smaller carp. Have you experienced different responses in older carp, etc.? Yeah, it's it's actually that's that's quite um it's quite an easy one for me because I, I I did an extensive amount of research and looking into this um at the time. I mean, but again, it's something that you know the plumbing was based on that, and that was you know that bait is now sort of almost fifteen years old, so it, it's stuff I looked into a long time ago. But all all the organic acids all work. Um, you want to go at lower levels of inclusion and they all work completely differently mm. so what you want to look for is, is like a synergy of 
so when, when I'm making a bait, I always say to people, don't overwork it. You know what I mean? Don't put things in that will clash with things. Only put something in if it's specifically there for function. Now, acids are completely the opposite end of that spectrum. You want to have a, a, a good amount in, maybe 12 or 15 different ones, all at minute levels, um, and make like your powder or your inclusion 10 to 20 grams of about 12 different ones. And the more, the more you can put in, the better synergy and the better reaction you get to it. Definitely, 100%. Sorry, quick question to expand on that. Um, I'm really intrigued on your recipe for, um, for Monster Crab now. How many carboxylic acids, well, if any, has that recipe got in it, Jason? Do you know off the top of your head? <laughs> no. No? <laughs> no not, not really. Um, I've got, I've got um, maybe two, 200 different flavour recipes on various hard drives. Yeah, fair enough, mate. One <clears throat> like tutti fruity might have 80 different flavour compounds in one recipe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I, so I was, I was sort of doing this analogy at the start where we came in. It's like, if, if you can imagine a hundred people coming into the tackle shop and going up to the flavours, right? Out of that hundred people, how many do you think would sniff them? A hundred yeah. people, right? How many, but they're flavours. How many people would actually taste them? Well, probably about two or three, but to be honest, if, you, if you've ever tasted flavours, you probably wouldn't. I remember someone coming up to me at the show, at a fishing show, I can't remember what, and saying, can you, um, this monster crab, can you, can you make this? Or is, do you know someone who does one similar? All right? So I tasted it. Um, and it had something like priaponic acid in it. Because the moment it hit my tongue, it just started dissolving it. Um, there was no, none of the burger stands or the tea stands were open. And all there was was a bottle of glug on the table. So... And I think it was like a B vitamin glug or something. And I, I literally had to just pick that around and swill it around in my mouth um, until it stopped burning. You know, and that was, that was from like one dab on my tongue. Um, so <laughs> you, you have to be careful about tasting stuff like that. But also be mindful that if it's going in your bait, then that's what your bait's going to be, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why an explanation of... Um, you might pick five pineapple flavours. Um, you pick one or two out as being really, really nice. You know, they smell like fresh cut pineapple or something. And I, this is certainly my experience. And they, they, they work their shit, right? They, they, they might catch a fish, but they might catch a fish because it's seen the bait, you know, or it's just picked it up or there's competition. They're just, they're not good flavours. Um, one that smells not like pineapple, it might just add loads of acetates in it or something. Um, and, and it was like, oh, it smells more like pear drop. That's one of the old classics. Um, that might be the one, you know what I mean? Because there's something in that, the taste of that, not the smell of it, right? Because you've already said there's two or three that you think smell a lot nicer. So it's going to be down to taste. Again, yeah. you know, that tastes better to that fish. There's something in it it likes about that. Cool. Good answer. Sorry, Pete. I'm uh, taking you off course, mate. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, Okay, so we're going to go down to... Okay, so this is from Sam Crawley. Uh, what the hell is the old secret agent and why can't it be reproduced as it is far superior to any of the new or knockoff versions? Um, so the, the reason sort of anything can't be reproduced is, is sort of death or, or industry 
guidelines. Um, so one lad the other day, following the old ultra spice thing, he sent me the, the two compounds that um, stringers won't use anymore to put in there. Um, one, one was one was a eugenol. Um, I, I I can't remember offhand, but that that will be the that will be the reason um, they change. I mean, so the, the main thing on secret agent was fenugreek, um, which is generally an awesome attractor in in any of its formats. But I mean, there's one or two about. Um, Again, my favourite one, it was a pet food one. Um, I can't get that anymore. But that's not because they stopped making it. It's just because that company went out of business, mm -hmm. you know. Um, various things like that. I mean, when you're bait making, I found some great things over the years that were waste products. One was cocoa husk, right? It cost absolutely fuck all. You could put loads of it in the bait and the fish loved it, right? But it would come... Uh, one week it would come in a hundred mesh, and the next week it would come in twenty mesh. It'd be like sawdust, really, you know, crinkly and gnarly. And it didn't matter. I mean, it worked really well, however you used it. But people don't want to see that in their bait, so you can't use any waste products because it will always look different. So I mean, this year I do a bait. Um, I've had trouble getting my bird food because of the Brexit, and I've been mucking around with different bird foods, um, and I do like a a bait called wasp hybrid. Um, the wasp has an artificial bee pollen, um, which is from a DEFRA experiment. And the hybrid version comes from it as like the additive from the great wire. But it's, it's like an emulsified version of that. And it's quite active. Now, this particular bird food I'm using at the moment um, is, is more of a biscuit meal. It's soaking it up and it's making it really clammy and quite unstable, you know? Um, it's actually catching much better. It's, it's almost like it's a live bait, but I know that if people have it hanging around for too long, they're going to be on the phone saying, oh, my bait's a bit sticky and clammy and mouldy and all of that sort of stuff. So it's something I've got to address. Um, obviously not a problem if it's a fresh bait. And personally, when I use it myself and I'm on the bank, I stick it in the sun and make it sweat up, you know? Was that anything to do with a question? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I can't Hang remember on. what the question was. Do you know what? I've gone scrolled down to the next one. Um, it was about secret agent, mate. So no, you've gone off on a little tangent, but that's yeah, all good. People love listening to it. Yeah, fenugreeks. Um, I mean, you unfortunately you do have to shop around. Um, the one I used to like it was called Stringers used to it, and it was called Spout and Animal um feeds or something. Um and it was really, really nice, you know. Mm. but yeah secret agent again it was one of those wasn't it where you know you could smell it a mile off and you could smell it on your tackle like a month later and stuff like that yeah yeah for sure for sure um stinky horrible thing really um <clears throat> so the next one moving on we've got aaron phillips um and he's asked what is the maximum level of essential oil you would use in a hook bait also, if using more than one oil, would you lower the levels to compensate each oil? Right. So, um, yeah, again, good, good question. Um, I think all, all Leos, you have to find the level, if that makes any sense. It does. Um, Absolutely. So, have you, uh, I don't know if you've heard the old one about Albus oil. Have you ever tried mm -hmm. it? 
used it or talked about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I had one really good winter on that, and that was one drop, you know, crazy, one drop. And and automatically, when something works, I mean, it's like this additive I've got now. Um, I mean, I, I haven't totally come to terms with it completely. Um, you would think it's it's prohibitive in cost. Well, I told you it's like about four or six hundred pound per litre. So you would think that if you glugged it in the neat additive, that it would be immensely effective. But but it isn't. You know what I mean? It it really isn't. It just it overdoes it. It has it has its level. Um, so there's there's nothing wrong with making blends of oils. I mean, I think we talked before some of them go really really well together. Um, I mean, basil and black pepper oil that used used to sell Nash used to sell that as Sting. I mean, that was a fantastic, fantastic attractor. Um, those two together, um, uh, and a lot of the flavours as well um, will have essential oils in, especially the spice ones. You know, um, they'll they'll naturally have some of those in. Um, again, put your mix together, but. A, you've got you're making more work for yourself you know what i mean the, the the more parts in the jigsaw the longer it's going to take you to unravel it definitely the, the sting oil <clears throat> that was um sean harrison's concoction wasn't it we've had him on a couple of times well, well I'll, I'll tell you another one right so I've, so I've done this a few times um just as an experiment so i've made up um pop-ups with just pure flavor okay so I've cut out the egg um, and, the, and, and any stabilizer or anything. And I've literally just made up egg replacer with pure flavor. Yeah. And they catch fish. Now, but again, remember it's one bait and it's, it's tantamount to an artificial bait. You know what I mean? You, you're never ever going to do anything like that um, in, a, in a feed bait. Um, but again, I, I don't know. Um, it, I, I, I do know of people that have put a lot of essential oil in hook baits and they swear by it. It's not, it's not something, it's not something I find super attractive. I mean, I, I, I think I've told you that, you know, my idea of high attract hook baits is something that's, I, I, they call them catch the hatch or whatever, you know, I, I'll soak the cork dust in oil attractors or something. I'll use cork dust rather than air balls they don't look particularly nice and 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 put more lipids into it and dry it and put more lipids in and and put it around fats you know and i found that to be more attractive you know um sure. but the whole the whole oil thing you know people poo poo it out of hand it's not water so but again you know it's still in your bait isn't it you know it's still in your bait after 12 hours it's still in your bait after 24 hours it hasn't leached out and is it is the taste more important than people think? You know, I, I know the answer to that, and I'm I've sort of trying to encourage people in this. But if you read the book, certainly um, like the oil and fats chapter, I mean it, it all overlaps. I mean there's there's three chapters there, I think, which is flavors, um, oils and fat, um, pH and acids, and basically those three chapters. Any one of the comments could go in any one of those three because they're all intertwined in the big picture of it. Christine has messaged us. Um, what are your thoughts about baits for pre and prior to spawning? And does the, his approach change? Well, does your do you change your approach? 
essentially with bait? Um, I'm going to I'm going to say no because um, as a fishery owner, slightly, um, I, I try and leave the lake empty of people um, through the time historically after spawning, even though the fish don't seem to spawn in my lake, and I use that as a time like the growing season to give them a lot of bait with vitamins in to get it into them um, for regeneration. So you, you, you could you could look at having a more vitamin inclusive bait after, after spawning. But I think generally speaking, if you put a lot of time and effort into looking at a vitamin inclusive bait, full, full stop, you're going to catch more fish. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that goes without saying. I think fish will feed when they want to feed, right? So um, I'm, I'm maybe saying something about a 70-30 rule. Um, and I think it was, you know, 70% of the fish come out most of the time and the other 30 don't. Well, if I give you the 70-30 rule as 70% of the fish will come out when the water's full of oxygen or the fish are feeding up for spawning or mm -hmm. the end of August, early September, when they're feeding up like to put condition on for winter, um, then that's the 70-30 rule again. You know what I mean? So I've noticed, I'm, I've got a ticket for a lake in the UK this year, and I haven't been yet, but I've noticed this week that lots and lots of fish have started to be reported all of a sudden. So that tells me that they're now on the munch prior to spawning. You know, it's going to be a good time where you can go and catch a few fish, um, and then probably in two weeks' time, that they'll be at it if you mm -hmm. like. Um, how long it takes them to get back on the feed afterwards really varies per lake. I mean, I've I've been on lakes where it's you might as well have gone home, you know, you know. And, and I'm talking about lakes where you've gone to France and you paid for your week and you think, oh god, you know, what I mean, like, what am I going to do? And you know, you pull the lines out when they're actually at it, but then you think, you know, do I fish now or not, or do I go somewhere else? Um, so no, I, I don't think, I don't think the bait makes any, any difference. You know, I think they'll eat more of it when they want to eat more of it. You know, they, they know that they have to build up a reserve to put energy in that they're going to lose. Yeah. And obviously feeding uses energy, but more importantly, it uses dissolved oxygen. I mean, I, I don't know how many people understand that or realize the importance of it, you know, Oh, oh, it's really low pressure and it's raining today and it's windy and stuff. You know, it's dissolved oxygen in the water. The fish need that to feed. Um, when it's been hot and still for ages and ages and they just switch off, you know, the water temperature is too high. It's like a summer torpor, if you like, but the dissolved oxygen level, that's that's why they're not feeding, you know. And then if you're going to catch any fish, you're going to like mug a couple off the top or some shady corner like in in like out of the way or under a tree or something like that but certainly when conditions are right um i mean like it was when i was away last time you know what i mean if i had had twice as much bait i could have used twice as much bait easily because they were up for eating it you listened to stephen white's podcast didn't you um did what do you make of his theories of um using like high oil baits and his nut mixes when there's a sort of like very low dissolved oxygen in the water um so I, I've got some I've got some theories about oils and fats. You know, again, a lot of it's in the book. Um 
I don't think necessarily having it lit again it, it comes back to the same thing old faction against gustation you know the, the lipids in the bait is is a nutritional thing as much as protein ever, ever was or ever is i think you know i don't think having it sort of pulsing up through the water in the fishery is necessarily great um although having said that when i've i've done this for years and years and years whenever i'm boiling or cooking up particles I get a packet of Brazil nuts up, I chop them up and I boil them up and I throw them in and the oil that, that leaks off is just crazy. But then generally speaking, like that's for a method mix or ground bait and I bind that up with some hemp or something. And you know, when you're, you're sitting in the swim and all of a sudden you get a massive flat spot and you know they're rooting there, you know, it's perhaps more of an indicator than an attractor. Um, I mean, obviously the fish can detect suspended particles in the oil but not necessarily the oil itself but i think to get the function out of the lipids you've got to be eating it in the bait mm -hmm. um and again it, it goes into all so all these chapters that i do they all overlay each other you know so there's definitely a thing about high calories you know i mean you, you put direct energy in which comes from the lipids carbohydrates i think are very very unimportant in fishing you know, to the extent where you probably don't even need them at all. You know, I'm not sure people need them. Um, you know, you can get more energy from good fats than you can from, ever from carbohydrates. I think is an excuse to put more poorer items into a bait personally. Um, and what, when, what was it to do with the oil around the second part of the question? But no, what I was asking was about... Um... What Stephen White he sort of like was was hypothesizing that um, especially during the height of summer when the temperatures are high and dissolved oxygen's low he favored a, a bait well his nut bait at the time where he was using sort of like high oil content um, like um peanut well, meal and well not on the basis of it I mean it's if you look at sort of you know the last sort of sentence if a fish can eat a meal and get lots of energy quickly and easily um without the effort and that fish is lethargic you know and less inclined to feed then then that's good you know what i mean if so you know there's a 30 stone person sitting on here with a remote control they probably can't be asked to walk to the fridge but if there's a pizza fucking sitting there they're going to eat all of it right mm -hmm. um so there's there's a thing there's, there's a, a bit in the book i think i'm sure i mention it um i had this conversation about something called plumpy nut have you heard of that you oh, yeah. spoke about that on our last episode. That. Right, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's emergency first respond food. So I, it's basically crushed peanuts and oil, right, and sugar. That's, that's basically what it is. Um, and, and that's what they put into people to bring them back to life. So if you can imagine that fish is just sort of dosting around like in a torpor or something, you know what I mean? And then you give it a hit of energy, right, which it doesn't have to work hard for, then that, that's a perfectly valid theory, right? Straight away there. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it's 100% right, but the theory adds up. It's logical thinking, but that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, I thought about tiger nuts for years and years, right? And uh, why they work. And you, you come for all these things about, obviously they're carp selective. They can sit there for weeks until a carp eats them. You know what I mean? There's the crunch factor. I don't really buy into that too much. You know what I mean? Like, especially as I'm getting older, my teeth are getting less good and I don't want to be crunchy. But mm -hmm. 
and I, every, every every time I bite something hard, you know, I'm I'm checking the collateral damage afterwards. <laughs> um, but so I'm not necessarily buying that. But the one thing that does come back is that they're high in calories, high in energy. You know, they have natural oils. You know, they're giving the fish something. They are getting something. You know, the argument used to be there's nothing in there. The damage comes when everyone uses them to the extent of everything else, you know. And then fish, obviously, have, have a restricted diet. Um, I mean, so in the 80s, I mean, there was a massive particle boom. People stopped using milk protein boilers and stuff, started using peanuts, lots of fish died. And Jeff was partly responsible for kicking the boily thing off, again off with, uh, with the fish meals at the time. I don't think he gets the credit for that. Um, but now we've, we've got more information and the bait makers certainly should be asking more questions than, they, than, than a lot of them are, I think. Yeah, but you mentioned fish meal there. I think that'll bring us nicely into the, the next question. Uh, so it's from Craig McPherson. Um, if you can never use fish meal in a boilie again, what would you use and why? Okay, so um, I sat behind my bed, which is completely unsavoury, really. Um, I've got 100 kilos of 24 millimetre milk protein boilies. And, and they are milk protein boilies. We're not just talking about putting a bit of token milk in. Mm -hmm. We're talking about using the least amount of anything else to hold it together as humanly possible. Now, there's zero attractors in those other than two mils um, of the great white attractor. So that's an experiment, you know, to give them something completely different that tastes completely different with a low level attractor in. Um, obviously, that's restrictive in cost, but like as an angler, um, if you buy one kilo of it, and it catches you 10 fish and you buy 20 kilos of something else and that catches you 10 fish then it there you go you know what i mean you just you just use less bait mm. simple as that it depends on on your angling scenario um it, it wouldn't kill me it wouldn't kill me to not use fish meals again um having said that all my fish on my last trip were all on variations of fish meal baits um I think the nut thing has, has been done to death, really. You know, I, I keep trying to work a new element or angle into the nut bait and bringing it out. But people, even however well they catch, people just seem to be done with it. You know, they're, they're nice smelling things and they work, but I think that's kind of at its time. Um, swings and roundabouts. Mate, um, you, 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 can com you can compensate for everything. So fish meal gives you, gives you a good level of crude protein. Do you need the protein? It also gives you minerals and things. You can supplement all of those. There's better things that you can use anyway. Yeah, I, 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 could, I could live without it. I think as, as a bait maker, um, it would be tricky. Yeah, it could get expensive as well if milks are your uh, go-to. Well, it is. I mean, I see... Everyone harps on about how expensive fish meals are and, you know, they've gone up 400% and stuff, but they're still cheap enough for us to use, right? You know, mm. they're still cheap enough to make that end product with. You know, they roll pretty well. Dietary requirements, they're pretty good. Um, but, you know, you, you, I, I, I quite like to use a bland base mix with no taste or smell or anything. And then you, you've got 
you've got a pure building block for experimenting with, right? So what the bait, if you can make like just a sort of bread, bird food, whatever, just something really basic is so good for testing. And then you just put one different thing through it at a time and then until you get your reaction in, in fishing terms. Um, it's just so good for testing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, right. The next one has been asked twice, uh, and I think I'm missing something here because I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, but two people have asked, uh, one being Aaron McCracken, uh, who, by the way, we'll give Aaron a little shout out because he's just sent a photo uh, whilst we've been recording. Have you seen that, Sam, of a 30 pounder that he's caught on our hook baits, which is pretty cool. Did you see that, buddy? I've s I saw one catch report come in. I don't know if it was the same guy or not. And it's, it's nice to get feedback. I mean, I personally, right, you know, I, I like, I, I still get a buzz out of seeing people catch fish on baits I've made. Really, like, I'm not going to say as much as myself, but along those lines, you know what I mean? It's nice to have it. This, this is new territory, isn't it, for me and you, mate? Um, and we're sort yeah. of, uh, it's been quite nice getting, getting some nice feedback because there's that element of obviously we've never sold bait to the, to the public before. Um, and it's quite nice to see the capture catch reports coming in. Gives you a little boost, doesn't it? Gives you a little buzz, you know? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Um, so it was Aaron and Spencer Payne as well, and they're asking you what you think Kev Hewitt is using in his bait. What the fuck? Huh. <laughs> Two people have asked. Yeah. What's the reference? Oh, I don't know. Have you what's been going fishing with? There? Have you been fishing with him, Jason, or something? No. What's that about? I he must have caught that. something impressive or something at the minute. I don't, he? I don't know, mate. No, that one's that's gone right over me head. Sorry. Yeah. Random. Um looks yeah, fishy. No, that, that, that must be a private joke. Yeah. I've no idea. I've no idea what that is. Yeah. I mean, so I've I've sort of venturing into sort of public waters and stuff, but most of my fishing is done with my mates or it's done in remote places you know what i mean like real sort of trail blazing stuff and I, I i don't see other car baits you know other than walking around a tackle shop looking at them through the window in the plastic bag um i mean the last contact i had with anyone else's bait was working with nash and that was what i don't know three or four years ago now or something like that yeah mm. honestly I, I i don't you know if 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 you ref People say to me, I've been using, I don't know, DNA or Secret 7 or something. Like, can you can <laughs> or bait anything like that? I was like, don't know, mate. Never seen it. I've got no idea, you know? I don't even know who Kev Hewitt's associated with, for most. I don't, I don't even, even want to see other people's bait. I think as soon as you do, it, it clouds your own judgment. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you have to do everything for yourself or work everything else for yourself... You know the landscape is going to be that much richer mm -hmm. at the end of it. Mm -hmm. Talking of Kev's, I've got one. Sorry, I'm just moving this on now, Pete. Um, Kevin Wallace he says, "Do you believe in trying to balance amino acids in your baits?" No. Nope. I knew that would be the case. <laughs> I knew you'd say that. Zero interest in that. Zero. Zero. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not even on the scale. I fucked around with amino acids for years, written them off for years, fucked around with them for years. Um, you, Too many variables. You, unbelievable amount of variables, right? Yeah. So, you know, 
was involved with the cultured baits and stuff, putting um, aminos and vitamins into that and making my own cultured baits. And you can have great action on them, great results on them, um, incredibly effective. Um, but I, I also believe that was partly due to the vitamins, if not more so. Um, yeah, I mean, you boil it, it's dead. Um, it's got to be put in in a soluble state. Put any soluble product into water and it disappears. Um, no, no interest at all. Mm. I've never, I've never worked it out. I've never worked out an occasion. Uh, I've never worked out any protein contents, free aminos, any of it. I've, honestly, I think that is where bait has completely headed the wrong way for years and years and years. My, mm. More important than that, what's your favourite cheese? <laughs> Mate, I love cheese. I love cheese. I, apart, you can keep your goat's cheese, but just about anything else. Oh, I love goat's cheese. A little bit of rock yeah. for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Brie, camembert, strong cheddar, man. Bring it on. All mm. of it. Yeah, love Good it. Man. Good man. My, my you... grain central, bring it on. <laughs> on. On biscuits or on like a French baguette? What are you going for? Uh, oh, fresh bread. Yeah, if it's still yeah, warm, fresh bread. Oh. Yeah. oh, yeah. Literally, if someone said to you, like, you're going to be executed, um, what's your last meal? I'd probably be going along the lines of something like, uh, I don't know, Vindaloo and Hagen-Dazs ice cream. But then you think, you know, if I had some really nice cheese on some hot mm. fresh bread, yeah. salty yeah. butter, that's going to beat everything, isn't it? Got to have salty butter on that. What about a bit of chutney, yes or no? No, no. No chutney. No, no. No, no. <laughs> Keep it simple, eh? Yeah, mate. Taste the flavours. Uh, sorry, Pete. Car carry on, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate, I'm lost it all. They do, oh. um, they do these cherry uh, Jaffa cakes in France. They're like white with uh, a red lime through them. Uh, right. They're like baked coutard flavoured Jaffa cakes. They're good. Yeah, mm. they're really good. What, what about dogs? What's your favourite dog? Greyhounds, all day long. Greyhounds? Yeah, yeah, I've had loads. Many greyhounds. That that was from Looks Fishy. That's his name, Looks Fishy. Yeah, so, I, I, so I used to race them. Um, yeah. at one point and I was also manager of one of the stadiums for a while. Um, and that was quite a while ago. And since then, I've just had retired ones on the sofa. Um, pretty much down to my last one now, which my wife has custody of. But I went and took him for a nice walk yesterday, and uh, yeah, greyhounds, lovely dogs, great, easygoing characters, aren't they? Greyhounds, hey, yeah, they, <coughs> yeah. Um, so the one I've got now, like we sort of adopted this wild cat, this feral cat that the neighbors had, uh, well, he decided he didn't want to live with the neighbors because they were numb nuts, um, uh, and but he made friends with a dog and he used to, he was scared of everyone else, the cat, but he used to walk underneath the dog and we'd go for a two mile walk with the greyhound and the cat and everyone would just be looking at us going, well, wow, that's pretty bad. <laughs> but they, they were best mates, you know, and then he just comes home and goes to bed for 20 hours. He's yeah. Everyone loves a bit of pussy, mate. You mentioned uh, Vindaloo's as, as maybe if you're on death row, we've got another question from Phil Martin. If you could only have one curry for the rest of your life, what would it be? Yeah, it's, it's going to be Vindaloo. Um, so I, I tend to have the little prawns in it, um, mainly because you get more sauce. Yeah. Mm. Um, Top tip there. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although my my local curry house now it lets you buy just the sauce um, like for like three quid. So my, <clears throat> my fridge is just full of vindaloo and madras and Jalfrezi sauces, like and, uh, virtually nothing else. There's a curry house in in Newquay in Cornwall called Indian Summer, and they do. What was that curry I put you on to, Pete, years ago? I haven't lived in Cornwall for like eight years. I bet they still do it. Was it Southern Indian? It was Shit Southern name. Indian, mate. It was Southern Amazing, it was wasn't it? sort of special. Oh, fuck. Very yeah. spicy. It was kind of Vindaloo level, wasn't it? But flavour, it was insane. So the meal nice. would be uh, prawn vindaloo, mushroom rice, and a garlic naan bread. That would have garlic naan. Pop it on as well or not? Yeah, but not so bothered, you know? No. No. Good, thick chunky bit of bread and a naan's always better in an eating right when it comes in that bag it's oh definitely yeah, yeah 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 for sure lime pickle for me i love the lime pickle with a i uh, don't i like the poppadom i like scooping up the curry with a poppadom but no keep the keep the pickles and shit there, there's there's virtually none of it i don't like um but if if i have something milder there, there's an element of disappointment if it's not challenged so yeah yeah uh, yeah yeah. i I used to have this thing at the football club and it was if you could eat britain's hottest curry you got the guinness book of record certificate saying you would eat it um and you would start off with a vindaloo and you'd have like five little dishes containing maybe four or five tablespoonfuls and if you got through it so i I did that and i had respiratory problems for two weeks afterwards And, and there wasn't a single point in those two weeks when i didn't regret completing that challenge just for this mm. bit of paper. Um, it was pain, oh, painfully no. game, mate. <laughs> do you know what? As I've got older, as I've got older, I can't do a hot curry. It's funny you say that, mate. Like, it's probably a couple of years ago. Um, me and Vanessa, my wife, um, we went to the cinema in Newquay and we went to Indian Summer and I had a Southern Indian. And Did honestly, you? by the time I'd got into the <laughs> fucking cinema, mate, my guts had just turned. I was in no yeah. fit state to be watching a film. Oh. No, I can't. I, do I'm, it. I'm, I'm kind of the same. My mouth decides it's had enough. You know, it gets halfway through and it goes like, "That's enough, mate." You know, what I mean, like just turn it in. But then it's the breakfast of champions the next day, isn't it? As well, so you know, it, yeah, it's win-win win, takeaway curry. Who would have thought the curry question would be the most <laughs> in-depth answer? <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. <clears throat> so that's one curry. Um, what about one attractor? Gary Carpangler is asked, if you could only use one attractor that's not well known for the rest of your life, what would it be? Um, it's the one It's the one thing I can't tell you what it is. Um, I, I is this love... in onions? No, no, it's not, no. Because uh, I think I, I know the one I, you're on about, the onions. I, but... I'd, lo- I'd love to tell you what it is, but by, by next week, I wouldn't be able to buy any myself. That's the problem. Yeah. And I'm um, so let's rewind this back 12 months ago before I knew about it and put the question then. So, um, yeah. so I, I think I'd probably have to break it down into two answers. One, one would be a liquid, um, and one would be one would be a powder, I suppose, right? Um, cool. So that's that's quite a hard question because you think of something like you know, LA 30 when it first came out. I mean, it was it was it was incredible, right? You know, what I mean, yeah. like mm-hmm. bitch, but then it becomes standard made mainstream. Definitely, uh, you know, yeah. and 
like, <clears throat> things like that of their age. So I suppose if I if I had one liquid, um, I, I I probably I probably would just have that old, original ultra spice man because, like, especially bearing in mind after my results last week. Because mm. and there's no point in everyone messaging me afterwards because after the last past podcast I got rinsed on it. You know what I mean? I really got cleaned out, and uh, to the extent where I wish I'd kept a bit back, more back myself than I did. Um, Sorry, mate. No, no, that's all right. Share the wealth, you know. Um, Powder-wise, one powder. Um, fuck. Um, that is much harder, isn't it? Um, I mean. I, we, we could hark back to citric acid, you know, that in the tank tests and things, you know, that was like the most receptive to them. Um, but, mate, yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough question, right? Um, and I think I told you before, like, you know, I, I, I was involved with Nash for a while. I worked with Nash for a long while. I could use their products um, very cheaply. And I never ever made one single bait with squid. I had no interest in it because it it wasn't something I had found, I had invented, or I was learning from. And and I I tend to be like that with bait ingredients. Once I know something is phenomenally good or works really well, I, I want to find something else. Um, so to limit to limit to me to one thing would be torturous, really. Um, and what do you call as an attractor? Because I. I I've said, you know, I don't think I put anything into a base mix unless it's there for a reason. So everything in that base mix is attractive. Yeah. You know, you know, and it's synergy as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. some things work good on their own, but they work great with something else, you know? Yeah, you would have trouble making a bait, you know, out of just one ingredient. I mean, exactly. you know, casein, we used to put 60% in and, you know, fish meals put 50% in and stuff like that. But, um, hmm, yeah. Fair enough. You just to build on what you said there. I mean, they don't sell it anymore, so I think you can probably divulge the info. But obviously, don't if you don't want to. You mentioned you never did anything to do with squid with Nash. The the squid powder that Nash used to sell probably I don't know how fucking years ago. Was it a type of cheese powder or was it something to do with squid? No, it was squid, and it, and it it was expensive as well, even buying it like in a metric ton it wasn't a cheap ingredient uh, is it the, the squid adderall so, or is it something else something completely different um that's more of like an over flavored type squid on yeah. a powder um, yeah that's it never, yeah yeah never really found that to be desperately, desperately no. good to be honest. no 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 um, ditto it's not yeah. available anymore anyway that's it for the Facebook questions, mate. How are you sort of holding with the Instagram ones? Have we got any? We do have some. Yeah, absolutely. Um... I mean, if I, if I ducked around the answer um, to some of those questions rather than giving like a direct answer, it's not because I don't know. And, and I, I've, no. Got no, I've got no notes or anything. I just ad hoc all of this because I just like talking about fishing. Um but the answer is a lot more complex. And like I was saying in these, the bait chapters in the book, you know, there, there's, there's topics which could be in three or four different chapters because it all overlaps. Um, and it, it's, it's all part of the bigger picture. 
and and the learning if you like you know no i totally get it mate and it's absolutely we are putting you on the spot by these questions and we're you know we're crying little pricks for want of a better phrase do you know what i mean that's kind of our job so no i get it mate i totally get it um and the thing is like there's no it's natural for people to want like a black or white answer but it's pretty rare that the answer is black or white you know i've never been a secretive person right and and no. I, I when my cart fishing started um you know it was the best part of 40 years now um mm. people were secretive right people wouldn't tell you what they were doing or they'd be hiding things and i didn't care because generally speaking i would catch more people than ever more than everyone else on whatever water I was on. So it just literally didn't bother me. Um, and I've always been like, if you can help someone, help them. Um, it's like a lot of my baits or whatever, it's explained in there and my thinking. Um, you might not agree with it, but it might put a thought in your head that makes you come up yeah. with your own solution. You know what I mean? Or your own little theory that drops everything into place for you. So. Mm. Um, I don't think any bait article is bad if it provokes a bit of thought. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. yeah. I'm mean, just saying, like, basic users buying ready-mades, you know, rather than asking the guy um, about which bait should use, like, tell him, sort of, have a look at them, test them out, see, you know what I mean? Like, sort of dismantle them a bit, if you like, or um, it's... Look, yeah, I, it's it's the same questions you get over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, we've certainly found that, haven't we, Pete? It is there's a real common theme. Every now and then you'll get something that's like real sort of left field, which is nice. But yeah, nine times out of ten, it's the same kind of thing. Just get re regurgitated. That's why I, I hate the whole sort of field tester, um, mm. sponsored angler. I mean... So, you know, I mean, how, what, if, how does cell need testing? You know what I mean? It's, how long has it been around? 15 years. <laughs> but yeah, yeah there, there's still like thousands of these cell testers. Like, they're, they're just people that, you know, they, they want, they'll put their bait, their face in a, in, a, in a mugshot or whatever to get bait a bit cheaper, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I haven't really got a problem with that, but just see it for what it is. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I've not got any field testers, but I like a bit of feedback. If people say, oh, Jay, this, you know, this was a little bit too soft or, you know, whatever, or I found like it was tainting or whatever, you know, just something helpful is good. Um, but I, I've got enough ideas for my own lifetime already. You know what I mean? And when, as soon as you start looking into something, it, it takes you off on a tangent straight away. You know what I mean? Um, Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this whole, this whole EU Brexit thing has, has kind of put a spanner in the works because it's made it harder to get ingredients. Um, it's, you know, the people, the preserve has gone up like sort of 400% overnight. And, you know, people who use um, like MPG and things like that, which also goes into the flavours into vaping. Well, that's partly a component of antifreeze. So as soon as it gets colder, you know, that's going to go up even more, isn't it? There's out of the eight companies that made it, there's only two currently making it. Um, like yeah. IPA, perhaps with isopropyl alcohol, you wouldn't use it for a lot of things. Um, but again, as soon as COVID happened, they brought up the entire world stock uh, to make the, the hand lotions and hand wipes. 
Yeah. And the same happened with milk proteins as well, with when uh, all the sports products and Coca-Cola started making the way boots and stuff. It it might just be, sorry, Jace, just rustling, I think, there, mate. It's just rubbing on your on your microphone. It's coming. Oh, sorry, mate. Out. Yeah. Yeah, supply and demand, you know, and Brexit has, and stuff has made it a lot, lot harder. Um, so people are going to have to be more creative and try different sources. And Here's one for you. It's a, it's a one-word question. Um, are you ready? Yeah. Tumeric. Turmeric. Depends how you pronounce it. All right. <laughs> I'm pronouncing <laughs> how he's written it. Yeah, right. turmeric. Turmeric. I say turmeric, but I think it's. I think you're supposed to say turmeric. I was. Um, I was trying to sound educated, but either way, turmeric. Well, I'm. I'm guessing he wants to know what your thoughts are on turmeric, and uh, yeah. probably the the compound curcumin, which is the active part of it, or the, at least the active part of what people supplement it for, inflammation, etc. So it is touted as being one of nature's wonders, isn't it, for the human? Yeah. World. Um. Yeah, I think the more diverse and more natural your diet is probably the better. So um, one of the early fish meals, like one of the Nash baits, we talked about it earlier, sting with the black pepper and um, the basil oil. So that was made up of non-heat carrying spices. Um, So turmeric, turmeric, that was one of the ingredients of that um, fenugreek. It was a mix of all of those non-heat carrying spices. That was a phenomenal bait. That was a really, 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 really simple, but really good bait. Um, and it had a whole bunch of those spices in. Um, so again, you know, if, if you're looking to target sort of wily old fish for those advanced taste receptors, um, then perhaps just using natural attractors like that, um, in powder in your base mix, even a drop of oil or something. It's an avenue, yeah. It's not. It's not one that excites me particularly, but it. it you know, it's again. You know, you, you can't fault people for the logic on it. Yeah, <clears throat> something that I'm interested in is um, so curcumin is is like the active part of of turmeric or turmeric, whatever the however the fuck you want to call it. Um, that stuff's interesting. There's um, a type of it, a uh, type of curcumin called Mariva curcumin, which is a type of phytosomal curcumin, um, and it'll pass the blood-brain barrier. It was a different episode. I can't remember which episode it was, but we were talking about, I think it was me that was talking about, actually, about carp maybe tuning in and latching onto things that helps their body repair, particularly like really old carp. And I don't know, sure, just sort of, pure guesswork for want of a better phrase but i'd like to to put that into a bait and those kind of things that that help you know dna repair etc um it passes the blood brain brain barrier as well which is obviously very unique and just to see if that has any effect whether carp latch onto it they might not at all it's, it's complete sort of theory at this stage um have you um have you ever looked at bioflavonoids yeah yeah okay so that is uh yeah lots that's probably a better avenue um, for what, what you're talking about and trying. Um, and there's, you can buy sort of ready prepared products um, in animal feeds uh, with bioflavonoids that are 
they're exceptionally good attractors as well as health beneficial. Yeah, they they just they don't smell particularly nice though. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I get it, but they can actually be um, hormetic for the carp, can't they? There's, so, there's, they... so there's a few there's a few blinds around. So like you know, um, was it John or Bill? Um, I should know because I only listened to it last week. But they were talking about piperine from black pepper, and you're mm. thinking, oh. Black pepper oil is good, so why is it good? And then you break it down and you look at like the active part or the concentrated part, and then you think, right, I'm I'm just going to use that part of it, and that should be like so much better. But yeah, it actually isn't. Um, so th- th- this is the lovely thing about bait, you know what I mean? The, for every winner you find, you know you've got to kiss ten frogs as well. Um, you know, you get these sort of illumination bits in your mind. Um, you think, fucking hell, that, what about that? You know what I mean? And you get really excited about it and it, it, it just doesn't materialise or you get one of those really good results followed by like a really average result, you know? Um, yeah. But I, I, maybe <clears throat> I pick things up and drop them too quickly, you know, because I low concentration span. <laughs> yeah. I- I know what you mean. I mean, I was talking about Q13, which is a bioflavonoid, um, which is the more sort of commonly known ones. And yeah, it's just theory, isn't it? I mean, well, it's my theory at the minute, but I just the thing is, it's like you get to a stage where, I don't know, maybe you want different avenues to explore down and you might have done amino acids and, and freaking carboxylic acids to death. And then some, you get another theory and it's like, fuck, let's experiment with that for a while. You know, that's definitely where I'm at there's, um, um, there's a with this kind of thing. Bioflavonoid premix. Um, and I, do you know what? I would actually tell you what it's called, but I can't actually think of that. I'm sure it's in the book. Now, that is the, one of the only things I've ever come across in my life that is a really good carp catcher, but doesn't catch bream. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I did a bait for three years um, and I used, I think on my sort of Facebook page, a bait Facebook page, there's probably like 12, 1300 people on it maybe. And it was like, I would say every week, anyone ever had a bream on this bait and it would just be like silence. Um, I remember we went out to this lake in France. I was trying to buy it at the time. Um, it had been run commercially. It had been closed down. Um, because it was too near the gravel workings and some of the fish were getting pinched and stuff like that. And it hadn't been fished for sort of five years, but I was going to invest in it. And uh, I, was, I was using this bait on all rods. Anyway, we hadn't really seen anything, nothing really happening all week. Um, so I changed, I put a different bait on every rod and all of a sudden I had like three bream. Um, and then we, we sat there and like we said, why don't we have a bream match? So we sort of scaled it down. We whittled our baits down and we had wafters, one rod each, north against south. And we had about 450 pound of bream in the afternoon. It was full of them and they were starving. You know, they probably should have been about eight or nine pound and they were about five pounders, you know. They're absolutely ravenously starving. Put all three rods back on this bait, Banoffi XL, I used to call it. And uh, nothing, just no, no bream at all. It was crazy, you know. And I used to tell people that, but I don't think anyone but actually believed me. <laughs> it's interesting, um, mate. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, I, it was, um, it, it could only have been that. That was the only, like, radical, because the attractor was banana oil um, and milky toffee. 
Um, the only radical thing in the bait was that bioflavonoid powder. It was green, used to smell of vinegar. I'm sure I do name it in the book, and I will tell you now if I could think of it. Yeah, I'll have to have a, I'll have to have a look, mate. Yeah, did I do this sort of thing for a living, but with humans, obviously, um, which is obviously yeah. very different from carp. But but yeah, interesting nonetheless. Well, humans um, can, can tell you, or should have the ability to tell you um, what they want or what the problem is. I'm not mm, saying they all do at yeah. all, um, mm. but I mean, carp completely, hundred percent. You have to interpret it, you know, and you might get two yeah. really successful people, and they will have two different interpretations of it. Um, the thing is with, with humans right so let, let's say um if i had a target carp and i liken them to one of my clients well with my clients i, I can get them blood tested for for anything that i want them blood tested for i can get them genetically tested which we do a lot of and we can actually see you know what their genes would predispose them to uh, we can also look at epigenetics turning on and off genes and go into much more detail Whereas you're trying to target a certain carp in a water and it's, it's just, you just don't have that luxury, do you? There's so much more kind of mystique to it. Um, yeah. and, and it's very, it's science-based, but you don't know all of the science on it. You can't get the whole handle of the science on it. So it's that kind of mystical aspect of it. Well, and I suppose when, that's why we love it. Yeah. You know? And when you have like, you know, those, those fish that don't come out for ages, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, like, yeah. I mean, like my lake's five acres, and yet fish can, and you know, I'll have twenty six weeks of anglers on there a year. Um, well, I did have before COVID, um, and yet you know, fish that can go for the entire season without getting caught. You know, yeah. they literally fifty times a, a week they must have been over the top of someone's bait. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. yeah. For whatever yeah. reason rejected it. Um, yeah. Then is it like? Is it? Uh, a mouth shaped thing is it how they suck it in or is it a receptor thing is it that, that do you know what i mean it's just never ending isn't it you, you it, it is. you're never it gonna is. know as as much as you talk about having a great bait and great the other variables are just as important yeah, um, yeah. i yeah. think the way the way you fish it perhaps not even so much you know i've told you how crude some of my rigs are they're just basic like two knots each in um but like I said, you've got the dissolved oxygen, you've got the conditions, angling pressure, it's absolutely massive. You know what I mean? How well can they see the line? How well can they see the hooks? You know what I mean? A round ball, you know, there'll be lakes where, you know, they've fed shit food or, you know, they've just, it's not worth the risk. There's that much food, right? Yeah. There's that little competition. They can literally be pick and choosy what they want, you know? Mm. Um, mm. Angling competition, massive. I mean, I, yeah, I fished definitely. I fished this like again. There's another chapter in here about it, and uh, you know, no one had ever fished it, and it's like two foot deep, and you you can see the fish, but you can't see them because the water's dirty. Um, massive, massive fish. You can't believe they're so big in that little water, um, but they're just so cagey, and you think 100% bait has to be the answer, but it isn't because they just don't need to feed because the water temperature's so high. And there's so little dissolved oxygen, they're literally using no energy and don't need to replace it. You know, they could just be sitting in front of your hook like for eight hours and not move. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Right. On to the next Instagram question. <clears throat> um, some of these I'm just going to skip over. Uh, no offense to anyone that's asked them. Um, 
when so Luke Bold Carper has asked when choosing a hook bait, do you go on color or scent? Um, so I think color's a personal preference um, with anyone. I think you're automatically going to choose um, the color you like. So most most of the time, the color's going to be just whatever color my bait is. Um, mm. I do I do like to use a wafter, um, which will, will be either the, the color of my bait or one shade lighter to try and make it look a bit washed out. Um, or because I put in a bit of blood plasma or whey gel to make it a bit harder so it can fish for longer. Um, what, what was the second part? Is colour or scent? But, yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, just expand on the colour. I know what you mean. People pick their favourite, don't they? they? They caught their PB on something, on white, so they yeah. keep... Ca- um, yeah. But do you look at um, contrast in lake beds? This is what I do more so than colours. So for fishing over sandy gravel like a bright yellow, actually, that might be really fucking subtle over some bright gravel. Um, or in a black bait, which most people might think, or brown bait, most people think that's dull. Over sandy gravel, that's actually pretty fucking poignant. Do you, do you look at that side right. of things or not? Do you know what? I, 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 to- I totally get it. Um, I'm, I'm going to say no. I'm, I'm, I'm just... Yeah. I'm going to be 100% confident in yeah. my bait. Um, yeah. Mostly it's sessions, like a week session. And... I'm, I'm not going to be action hungry at the start. At the start of the session, I want to get as many fish eating it as possible. So I'm in this, this three-week session I'm going to do in July. Again, it's testing myself. Um, and rather than having like a baited area, maybe like the size of your living room, I'm probably going to have a baited area the size of maybe six tennis courts to start with. You know, literally just throw it everywhere and get them eating it. Um, I, I don't, I don't try and make the hook bait um, stronger at all. Um, if anything, over the last two years, I've gone the other way and I try and make it more subtle because I'm tr- I, I do believe that those bigger, older, wiser fish um, are probably going to, that's the way I'm going to trip them up more so. Um, well, well, jo- sorry to interrupt you, mate. John, was say- John Baker was saying that the older carp have a, um, an increase in receptocytes. I believe that. Some, I, you looked into I believe that. that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, and that, that's that's the way, you know, I said, like, I've been trying to catch these two or three particular fish in my life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And that's the way I've been going about and doing it. And it's worked. Mm. Um, again, it might have worked because of a lack of angling pressure because there's lots of dissolved oxygen in the water and, and the only food they had was mine. Um, but I do believe that was partly the reason. Um, but it's not cut and dried, right? So, ten years ago, I went to Lake Bled two or three times in Slovenia. Um, you're fishing sort of 10, 13 meters, thirty to forty foot deep. Mm. Uh, a lot, most of the lake is ninety foot deep. Um, deepest I had one was fifty five, um, but I found you couldn't get a bite at the time. It's, obviously, it's changed now. So more angling pressure now, more boilies. At the time. It was hard to get a take unless you threw loads of maize in. Now, whether that was because they could see it, because it was crystal clear, slate on the bottom. You know, you used to wind in from 40 fishing 40 foot deep and your leg would be warm. Yeah. That's how much light was penetrating down there. Yeah. So, 
if you didn't put that corn in, you didn't get a bite. You'd be fishing boilies, but you'd had to put the corn in or you got no action. And I, and I don't know whether it was because they could see them. So I tried it uh, another way. I tried putting in oily halibut pellets to bring the oil up to bring the fish down. And that didn't work. They needed that visual attraction on the bottom um, for you to get any action. So again, that that I learned that I learned that the hard way. I mean, this guy literally gave us three buckets of maize, one each. And I went, lads, you can have my maize because I want to catch bigger fish. And then I watched them for about four or five days catching fish while I didn't. I went, that weren't a good decision then, was it? <laughs> you know? um, so so colour, you know, I, again, was going to ask the fish about this, weren't they, what they could see. I mean, I do believe they can see in shades. And I, again, I've, I've had one of my best baits I ever did was a blacky green bait. Um, wasn't popular with people, but it worked really well for me. It was What, you know, what was that called? Uh, that was prosing. Yeah, so it was. I had a um, I had a black bait off you fucking years ago, long time ago, probably when you. Well, I say a long time ago, fairly long ago, fifteen years, probably when you first started. What would would that have been it? Um, no, that was probably MB two. Um, so it was that quite a spicy bait. I yeah. can't remember, mate. I can't yeah. remember. Be spicy, yeah. Probably it was probably it was prob probably that one. <clears throat> right. That was a that was a fantastic flavour. That was one that I copied for these Dutch guys, um, and someone told me that they were just going to rob you, which turned out to be true. Um, so it sat in my well, sat in my shed for about ten years, um, and then one day I just thought, oh, Christ, I'm sick of it looking at me every day. So I'm going to do something with it, and it was it was phenomenal, like you know, apple apple spice, but it had elements of meatiness and garlic and fruit it was i think it was basically sort of three flavors someone had put together um that's why it was hard to replicate right it was uh yeah was ever so good that was that would that would be one going back to one of the questions earlier that would be one liquid attractor that i'd be happy to use forevermore yeah interesting mate interesting we're bringing out uh a few flavors very very soon we're doing the same, bl blending things up and, and making them un un uncopyable, if that's the right word. So, yeah, we uh, we got that from from talking to John Baker a little bit, which was interesting. Um, next question is um, a boily... Oh, oh, no. Am I misreading that? No. But, yeah, boily-only syndicate. How can I fish differently to the others? um smash it all up yeah yeah crumb it up um stick stick it in three pl heavy ply sacks on your driveway run it over with a car um you know different shape to a bait crack it all out pump loads and loads of it in but just not the round balls you know they, it's just obvious isn't it just loads and loads of round balls so i, I mean I, i'll give you an instance on my last trip yeah i mean so I've turned up and I said, it, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. It was going off. So, I mean, I was I was dropping the rig with a bait boat. I could have cast it, but I had the bait boat there, right? So I've got the method feeder on. I'm putting in five five whole boilies, five uh, chopped up boilies, and a fist of, of large particle, um, like pulses, beans, peas, that sort of stuff, right? 
And that's what I was having all the 50s on. Bang, 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 bang. That presentation. Right. Yeah. Um, so then we went down um, the garden centre. I got 25 kilo of wheat, 25 uh, kilo of maize concast, like cracked maize, because I was aware that I had another sort of 12 days fishing. Um, I thought, I'll give that a good old soak up and mix it all up. Um, and then I put it, put it out there. And I thought, oh, fucking hell. Right, straight away, it's just obvious, right? So it was stockies, tench, the odd bream, um, the carp size gone straight down. Rather than just sticking to the formula, I, I, obviously those big fish, they, they were still in the swim, they were still seeing the hook bait, but they was just looking at this patch and thinking, that's someone fishing for me, mate. You know what I mean? Really. You know, there's there's some there's a hook in there waiting waiting to snag, and they knew, they knew they're not they're big fish, you know. So even having the best bait in the whole world, you've still got a, one put it where they are, obviously. Which if conditions are fantastic and 100% right, that's all you've got to do. But if they're not 100% right and conducive to catching all day long every day, which they're not most of the time, you've got to make that baiting baiting situation work for you or a little bit different so a boilie only syndicate yeah smash them all up mate get get loads and loads of crumb in there get like an alternative shape to bait um make them eat your bait but just not looking like a round ball yeah yeah definitely i mean do you i do this do you look into what else like what the rest of the syndicate is feeding. I'll give you an example, my one, everyone's feeding fish meal. The fish meal is going in, it's not got a, like a mega high protein content. It's been tested independently. Um, so I've gone in with like a high protein, milk protein bait. It's got very high concentration of milks in. Do you, do, do you kind of hold any weight in that, just going against the grain with the type uh, of boilie or not? So I, I'm, I'm personally not fishing against anyone else, but... I would back my bait 100%. Um, yeah. And any, anyone, anyone else um, that came and said the same thing, like, Jay, all this is going in, and, like, you know, everyone's using CC More Life System, and I've got to use this. Like, sod that, mate. Use what everyone else uses, and you catch what everyone else catches. Yeah, right? exactly. And if you're, mm. not as good, if you're not as good an angler as them in the way you yeah, cast, you'll catch, less. Bait, you'll catch less, right? So don't, don't inhibit yourself. Don't put shackles on yourself. Go in with a good quality bait, and then you're the market leader. That's mm. that's the advice, mate. Just you know, just back yourself, hundred percent, all the time. There we go. Hopefully that helps. Um, that is the end of the Instagram questions that we're going to cover. I think. Pete, you still with us? You, you, still here. You, still, still here. alive? Yeah. I managed to run to the toilet again. <laughs> that out. baby bladder there's, shade, there's shades of being alright though isn't there <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you're just about alright but paying for it tomorrow it's not so good well yeah no no I'm mate I'm uh, I'm pretty sober I've had one beer so I'm alright it's, it's you boys who'll probably have sore heads <laughs> you've been drinking much Jason I'm not a big home drinker but I, I, I when I knew I was doing this a few days ago um, I put those Guinness in the fridge and I've been looking at it a couple of times and I'm thinking, I'm actually quite looking forward to drinking those. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, I was in that tent for like 10 days and I was mulling over what my, 
my treat was going to be, what my first takeaway was going to be when I get back. But once you've been to the car like 20 times unloading it and you've put everything away and had a bath, you know, you just can't be asked to do anything really. You know, it's just, mate, I, I felt absolutely, you know, just dismantled after that. Um, so I, I think a, a three-week session in the summer um, just on one lake will probably be easier, you know? Yeah. Are you going to be fishing over here in the UK? Yeah. In the coming I'm, months? I, I, I'm sitting looking at a syndicate ticket in front of me. Um, now, my, my plan really is to do a session for the whole of November, mm. um, which is quite rad. Um, so I've never done these long sessions before. Um, so I want to sort of test myself a bit. And I've saved up a bit of money over the winter as well to give myself the opportunity to do it. I have um, a word with Stephen White. He's, he's a full-time boy. Yeah. You're right. Um, I mean, the thing <laughs> that puts me off the UK is just other anglers being around me. Um, yeah, agreed. You know, and yeah. Uh, it's something I've not had for a long, long time. But I mean, I, I, had, I had bits of it, you know, last week and on this public and I was seeing them take their bait boats out sort of 300 metres into the lake. And I thought, well, I'm not really up for that so much. You know what I mean? So the, my, my bit of the water, I've got a couple of bays either side of me, a few features. Whilst, yeah. it's not, whilst it's not a popular area of the lake, I'm sure, with three weeks to play with and 100 kilos of, like, really good bait, I think, uh, yeah. I was going to ask you, actually, mate, you, when you're in France, are you using a boat or even a bait boat? Or, or not, you just cast um, it all out. Yeah, both. It depends, you know. Um, so I mean, if you've actually physically got a boat and you're in a boat and you're on the water, it, it will tell you so much more about anything. Yeah, yeah. And being out there over the spots, looking, prodding, feeling, you know, it, that 100%. That's the way to go. Um, bait boats are a necessary evil that can give you a better presentation let you use different things like say i've been fiddling around with these method mixes you know and these method feeders like for the first time ever really for the last sort of 18 months which has been my 18 months most incredible carp fishing um and i do think in some way they're tied in together um and and those things wouldn't be sort of casting as well um or carrying the things that i'm putting out there do you think so? Do you think that's like some different kind of presentation, or do you think it's just the fact you've got that powder like leaching out? What, what why do you think that's been working so well? Yeah, um, a, a bit of both. Mm. Uh, I, I, I put I put colors, I put colors in there as well. Um, so it, again, if you go back to sort of like blade, right? It's um, there, it's the bottom is rock hard. It's, it's granite slate, you know, from like the ice age. Um, and I've, I've watched the fish feeding, even in 20, 30 feet of water. It's so clear you can watch them feed. And like they've got their mouths pinned the bottom. They're sucking and blowing and sucking and blowing. And there's nothing coming up, you know. Um, and then you see like a little puff of silt come up and they're all over it looking, you know what I mean, for like natural food in that silt. Um, and there's, there's no sort of swimming pools as such. So people do wild swimming, freshwater swimming. So there's three or four lakes of the area that um, they've chucked a load of sand and stuff in and people, people tourists swim in them. So on a hot day when you get lots of people in the water, it's stirring up the silt 
you get loads of fish in amongst them as well looking you know um so I, i'm thinking well what about if i just go down to tesco's and i make up my method mix with a little pot of brown coloring off the shelf that cost me 25p as soon as that goes in the water i've got a brown cloud well i've got something a little bit better than that it's um it's the dye that they put in milk yeah to make it look extra white um so it's completely obviously completely safe for people but it puts an incredible cloud in the water for a long time so that's 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 basically one of the main components of my method mix you know and uh whether that's simulating fish feeding or covering up the rig, um, a bit of both, I think. Yeah, very interesting, mate. Very, very interesting. Kenny Gates, who I get bait off, he's mad into his um, into his ground bait. And um, that's something that I've been using since I've started using Kenny's bait. And yeah, it's interesting. It's something that isn't really used much now. You know, method mixes or ground bait. It's just, um, it just seems to be all boilies or particles or pellets, doesn't it, these days? Yeah, I mean, but, I, you know, I've got loads of sacks here of, of, of basically cornflakes without the sugar. Yeah, just maize. Yeah. yeah. Cheap, cheap as fuck, you know. Cheap as if, chips, but really good, drop, yeah. You drop a bait boat of that out and, uh, yeah. like, it's just tinker time instantly. You know, if I, mm. if I, if I wanted to be a, a tench angler, you know, I found a way I could, I could be the best tench angler there ever was, you know, straight away. Or anyone listening to this, just get yourself a sack of cornflakes, mate. You know what I mean? Like, especially this time of year, they just absolutely muller it. They're all over it. Um, yeah. Not necessarily the one for carp, but all, all my little edges and things, you know, I've got all these little pots and things, and I write them down and things, and that's just a good, good way of testing for me. You know, and I, I'm sure some of these ground baits and these things, they, these have been the edge. You know, they've been the difference between that photo album being full up and not. Love it, mate. Pete, you got anything else anywhere you want to take, Jason? I don't think so, mate. No, we've been going for a little while, haven't we? I think that's the, the, the perfect sort of spot to round it up. Is there anything you sort of wanted to finish on, Jason? Is there anything you wanted to sort of add to what we've discussed? Uh, no, I think so. I mean, I would say it's always, you know, you have a chat, it, it gives you ideas as well and makes you think. Um, I mean, I think that's that's the benefit of fishing with your friends, like holiday sessions and stuff. You, you know, I've got two or three friends who, you know, were quite inquiring minds and you could bounce ideas off each other. I mean, certainly being on my own was a completely sort of different experience, really. And um, I found I fished harder to start with. Do you know what I mean? Like normally I, so when I was at Badger, um, not my own lake, I mean, I was, I was really in it at the night. I'm not fishing. You know what I mean? Eight o'clock at night, all my rods are in. You know, I've zipped the door down. I'm in my sleeping bag. I've gone to bed for 10 hours, mate, or, you know, eight hours. Um, I've literally got up, done three hours fishing, gone off and done six or seven hours of collar, shoveling gravel or mowing and cutting back vegetation, and then done three hours. So, you know, to catch seven fish, I mean, it was literally probably in a, in a total of about 12 or 15 hours fishing. It was crazy, really. Um, but then that's nice, you know, because, you know, when you're doing like long winters or whatever in your own, you're only in that bivy and, you know, you've got no company or anything, it's go a bit crazy, I think. I think a lot of them have over the years. Mm. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You were backtracking a little bit. You said you were looking at a syndicate. Where, what part of the country is that in? Just uh, interest. 
Yeah, uh, Cambridge. Okay, fair enough, mate. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. No, sir. Not just out of interest. Oh, I, so I, I caught my first ever thirty-pound carp um, from there, and it was fucking yonks ago. And lo and behold, it's still alive, still in there. And I, I thought, you know, how many thirty-pound carp have I had since then? Probably a thousand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe more. Um, but that one's still there. You know, it's all that time with Jeez. all those catches and all those years, it's still swimming around. It really? Doing the same things. And I thought, there's a story, isn't there? See, yeah. see, re- recaptures aren't cool in my book, but I reckon that would be a cool recapture. W- wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh, mate. Yeah. yeah, that's different. That is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You should do that. Yeah. <laughs> So that's, yeah, that's been rattling around in my head for a while. Um, but I've, I've, so I've got more time. I've given myself, I've given myself five months. Um, you know, so it, we'll, we'll see, we'll see where we go from there. I've, I've got, I've got friends who are, well, one guy I've, I know at the moment, he, he, he actually, he had, believed it or not, he'd saved up a small fortune, really probably more money than most people have in their lifetime. And he went and bought a bait company and he bought a lake and went fishing for 12 months. Um, and the upshot of it, he got bored of it. Um, it was just too much in one go. Um, right. I don't think it'll happen to me. You know, I've been fishing all my life. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it gives you that element of sanity. I mean, certainly sort of the early chapters of this book, when I was fishing places like Clare Park in Suffolk, I mean, it, it was, for BP employees, right? It's the only way you could get in. So I got a job in a BP garage um, for two weeks <laughs> until my ticket came, right? Yeah. And then that was in yeah, Out of there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah. I knew I only had one year at it. Um, but there weren't really hardcore carp anglers on there. So I used to turn up on the in the dark on a Friday night, leave on the dark on a Sunday night, not see another person. You know what I mean? And, and it, it all just... It was just repetitive. There was there was no real excitement or anything new or any variables or anything routine. And um, I'd just been watching a thing um, today with Eric Cantona on, and it's just the same thing. You know, why did you retire at twenty seven? It was because there was there was nothing new for me. There was no excitement. You know, what I mean, I didn't want to just go through the same old motions of it. Um, and quite honestly, rather than get involved that. I'd rather just go down a day ticket lake and have a bending maraud all day, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> the only reason I asked, mate, was in case you were you were venturing up my way, I'd have had a bit of bait off you and sort of met up. That that was why I was asking, really. But you're down the west sounds... country, down the west country, aren't you? Uh, no. Well, Pete's down in Cornwall. No, I'm up in uh, Cotswolds. So yeah, I fished Cotswold Water Park, and also I've just got a ticket over in Oxfordshire as well. Well, my dad's up there. Mm. He's he's up in Banbury. Um, oh well, yeah, he's he's I, east I, from I, me. Yeah, I don't I don't know whether I'm allowed back into Devon and Cornwall or I'm banned. <laughs> Again, like you know, if you do read this book, then you'll read the stories of why I might be banned from Devon and Cornwall. Um, you have to get a copy good. of this book. Uh, <laughs> that's all in there. You know, uh, yeah, funny games. I'll order a book off you, mate, when it's all done. Please <laughs> please sign it for me. But, uh, yeah, I'll definitely get one off you, mate. 
Kirsty. Yeah. No worries. Awesome. Right. Well, Jason, it's always a pleasure, man. I think this podcast just—it's just been like a real chilled out chat between us all, and I've really enjoyed that. Um, I think people will as well. So yeah, as always, thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate awesome. your time. Nice Cheers, time, boys. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Cheers, yeah. Jason. Take care of yourself, mate. Bye. Thank you.